the arms race this is the podcast where we attempt to determine which action star had the highest body count in movie history i'm kevin keen and i'm mike olson and today we'll be discussing the specialist released by warner brothers on october 7th 1994 starring sylvester stallone sharon stone james woods rod steiger and eric roberts written by alexander saros suggested by the specialist novels by john shirley directed by luis iosa and this will be the eighth installment for the Stallone series for us. Yep, 8 out of uh, 32. We're getting there. <sighs> Are we? <laughs> is that a comment on this movie in particular? Or uh, is this... No, it's not necessarily on this movie in particular, but 32 is a really big number. I just it don't feel a... like we've we've really made it that far. It is a big number. Thirty. He's made 33% more movies than Arnold did. That's, yeah. that's how the math shakes out. So, uh, yeah, The Specialist is a movie I had never seen. Yes, you hadn't seen it. I had, but I only vaguely remember. But as I watched it, I actually remembered more than I thought. You didn't see it in theaters, right? No, saw it no, cables. no, no. Yeah. Uh, it might have actually been a, a DVD rent. Well, not DVD, but VHS rental for me. Okay. So, like, what, what's your, what was your impression back in the 90s? I assume it was the 90s. You're saying VHS when you uh, first saw yes. it. And then what's your impression now? Because I have some thoughts about this movie. My impression at the time was that I didn't remember this being a very good movie. I don't remember if it was on this series or when we did Bad Puns in an Arnold movie. I said that there was something about the 90s and sunglasses. This movie is the reason why I said that. It all came back to me. There's constantly different pairs of sunglasses that I think were supposed to be hip and cool. and they look, they, I thought they looked stupid at the time, and they look stupid now. Okay, that wasn't something that I was thinking about at all, no. sunglasses, when I was watching this. Sorry, it just... Uh, my, my mind was on other things, because this movie broke my brain. Really? See, I don't... Okay, so just to, to finish, I, I, don't, I didn't remember liking it. I don't like it any more than I did at the time. Actually, I, I'm going to take, take part of that back. There's a portion of this that is silly fun that I didn't remember, that I enjoyed, but it is not a good movie. Okay. We're going to disagree, I think, quite a bit on okay. this episode. Because, All right. Well, we're going to agree and we're going to disagree because uh, I was watching this movie. I'd never seen anything. I didn't even apparently know much about it because my, what I was imagining this movie to be is not what the movie is. We had it in an action category. And I'm kind of going like, I don't think that's accurate because this is not an action movie. The opening scene where they're like, CIA operatives in Bolivia. That's what I was expecting the movie to be. And then oh, suddenly really? it's just like, whoa, now this is a whole different thing. And I was watching it and I was like, literally after every line of dialogue, I had to pause the movie and go like, wait, what? And just like a million confused comments <laughs> in my notes about like, what does that mean? And how, how can this be? And not even plot things. The plot's very, very simple. Yeah. It's, all, it's just like how this makes no sense. The thing that he said doesn't match what she said. And it's just... The dialogue was written in a way, either the screenwriter or every single character has a head injury. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. But I'm watching it and going like... Everybody's concussed. And, and here's the thing. I've kind of stopped believing in the idea of like, so bad it's good. It's like, you know what? If I enjoy the movie, then it's a good movie. Even if it's badly made and badly written and badly performed, everything can, each individual part can be terribly done. But you know what? If I like the movie, I'm going to say it's a good movie. Okay. I, I've kind of stopped believing in so bad it's good. It's like, it's good. If I enjoy it, it's good. No, I still believe in that, but that's okay. I know you do. But this movie is making me question that because it's like, this movie is trash. This movie is complete and utter trash, and I love it. Okay. I loved this movie. <laughs> it's so terrible. And in the end, I was just like, that was amazing. 
So I, I can't I can't say that I love it. There are things that I like that are just silly and fun. I didn't remember that. I remember this being a serious, and I know it's trying to be a serious oh, movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, it really, really <laughs> is. So I, I think we partially agree on this. Um, and I wonder if the, if the parts that I find silly and fun, if we're going to agree on that, or if it's just you you just think the entire thing is the totality of the trash is what makes it good yeah. for you. Where me, I, there are certain components that I enjoy. But so When I say trash, I don't just mean it's badly made. It's trashy. Like this oh, movie yeah. is just like the, the, the constant saxophone. It's oh. like, oh, it's, it's like, well, look how sexy this movie is. <laughs> it's look how every line of dialogue is okay. trying to be mysterious and like full of intrigue. Like, ooh, I'm going to say a thing that doesn't quite make sense and it's going to seem mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I didn't. I did it, not it, focus on the dialogue. I mean, there's some things that don't make sense, but it sounds like to me that you basically question all of the dialogue. I literally questioned all the dialogue because when we get to our question segment, I'm gonna I, when I go through a series of pieces of dialogue, and it's like I have three questions about each line of dialogue. Okay. So we'll save it for that. But yeah, it was like it just accumulated to the point where. I'm just watching it going like, this is awful. This is so terrible. Oh my God, it got even worse. And it just kept piling up and piling up and piling up to the point where a switch flipped. I was just like, I am loving this. I, I am so on board. I think I know the precise moment where the, the switch flipped in my brain. It's when Sharon Stone said, a little danger never hurt anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like it's a great line. I'm like that's my kind of stupid okay movie. I'm on board. I, I'm fully immersing myself. Is that the stupidity. line? A little danger or was it something something no, like I, that? I think it is. I a little, little danger little, never yeah. hurt anybody. Yeah, because it's Eric Roberts, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, because he goes like, "You like to live dangerously, yes. don't you?" Oh, little danger never hurt anybody. <laughs> it's like the, you can tell the screenwriters like, "Yeah, this is gold. <laughs> this is gonna be the the quote that this movie is remembered by." A little danger never hurt anybody. <laughs> I love this movie. All right. Well, um, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that you, you liked it. I, I'll admit, I've been struggling through some of these movies, and uh, this one, there's enough of it that it perked me up a little bit, and this kind of recharged me a little bit. Oh, I'll, I'll take this over Escape to Victory any day. Cause it's like <laughs> that's like a classy, well-made, very, very boring movie, and this is a trashy, badly written, badly directed movie, and it's just like I was on the edge of my seat. Like, oh, what's gonna happen? <laughs> Not that you care about the plot, but ooh, what? How How much worse can it get? Oh, there was that, but then also the plot took a crazy turn. Uh, I mean, we, we probably should save this conversation until we talk about the, the big picture plot. Yeah, it was like, right. the, the movie makes a shift halfway through, and that's the point when I was just like, what is happening? So let, let's talk about it in a minute, but right. f- f- before we get to that. What day is it? What year? All right, it is October 7th, 1994, when uh, The Specialist was released. Mm-hmm. A $45 million budget uh, and $170 million in total box office. This is another one that the... Uh, the, the the international out uh, outperformed the domestic, although international markets were starting to get bigger in the nineties. Well, still, it surprises me. I mean, yeah. I guess you know, it's. I think it's maybe it's trying to be kind of European in its style in a little <laughs> you bit. Know, so, maybe so that's why. F- fifty-seven million domestic, roughly, and one hundred and thirteen million uh, overseas in in total box. What office. was the budget again? Uh, Forty-five million dollars. So, wow, that's yeah. a hefty profit. Yeah, it, it did pretty well. Uh, so it was, unlike some of the movies that we've had so far that we've done, uh, it was the number one the week it opened with $14 million, uh, in the box office. Nothing uh, really jumps out at me other than Time Cop is also still in theaters at this point in week number four. 
uh, and its total gross at that point was $36 million. And then what's funny is that this movie is total trash, but this is like the year of movies for me, 1994. And just seeing some of the things that are still like hanging around in the top 10, you've got Quiz Show, The Shawshank Redemption, Ed Wood, and Clear and Present Danger wow. hanging around in it. You know, they're, whatever, they, they, they're, they're not high up in there. And Clear and Present Danger had already been in theaters 10 weeks, which that's actually pretty impressive that it's still hanging around in the top 10. Justifiable 10 as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. So I'll try and go through this quick since I know we're going to have a lot to talk about on this episode. Before we move on to news stuff, yeah. Pulp Fiction was not out yet? Or was that earlier in the year? I uh, thought that was late 94. It was late for, I think, the Oscars. So this is early October. So I, I bet you this was, that came out late October or November. Probably, probably within a month or so of this. Yeah. yeah. All right. So in TV, not, uh, not, I've actually been surprised that this hadn't been number one in sooner of movies that we've covered. Uh, the 94-95 Seinfeld is finally number one, and it's going to be that way for, for a while. Yeah. ER, Home Improvement, those are all shows that I expected. Roseanne was still hanging around in 94-95, just, uh, just in the top ten. Roseanne was on for a long time. Yes. Well, I was just surprised that it was still in the top ten as I, by the mid-90s. Yeah, basically. that's true. It's funny, because after, our, was it our last episode, or was it? No, when we were talking about Rocky, and we, we yeah. mentioned Happy Days. Or you mentioned Happy Days. In Laverne and Shirley. And, I yeah, and I looked it up, and I, I saw how long Happy Days went. But Happy Days was like number tw- like 112 by the end. So it's funny. <laughs> Roseanne hung on, and Happy Days didn't. So. 12. Yeah, it really tanked. All right. Uh, so in history, you have nothing. Uh, I think on our last episode or maybe two episodes ago, you ran out of uh, derisive comments you can have on the S&P 500. But it's at 463.81 in the world. I don't even have derisive comments about the derisive comments at this point. <laughs> well, I'm just going to re- leave the room for like the minute while you're, while you're doing S&P 500. Fair right. enough. In the world of sports, uh, I got some news. Lawrence Taylor's number was retired by the New York Giants. And can I just say... On Tecmo, I think it was Tecmo Bowl. I don't know. No, it was Tecmo Super Bowl. I think it's Super Bowl. He was unstoppable. Yeah, I, I already knew what you were going to say. And yeah. I just, I just wanted to call that out. His jersey needed to be retired just for Tecmo Super Bowl. Notoriously broken. Like <laughs> yes. they've had that problem recently with uh, Steph Curry in the like, current NBA games. Just like he's such a good shooter that if you use him, you win the game automatically. Like they have to make him worse in yeah. the video game just to make it fair. fair. Whereas they weren't that <laughs> with Lawrence uh, Taylor, just like let him be amazing. You'll just win every game. Or like the Michael Vick factor in whichever oh, Madden God, it was. Don't even remind me. I of won't that. go down that. I, I, I still think it's BS, though. <laughs> I know Chris. Chris was probably going to listen to this. Two thousand Madden two thousand four. Michael Vick was so unstoppable. It was BS. Anyway. All right. Uh, in the, the greater world, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. I actually remember this was awarded to Yasser Arafat, Yitzhak Rabin, and Shimon. Paris, sorry if I mispronounced it, on October 14th. That was really big news back then. I actually still remembered that when Yasser, Yasser Arafat won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, I remember it too. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a bummer in hindsight. Like, well, it seems like progress is being made. Yeah, and unfortunately, yeah. Uh, we'll get to a little, bit, uh, a little bit more of things not really changing, despite it says, oh, maybe progress is being made. But uh, in the world of entertainment, Raul Julia suffers a stroke on October 16th. And yes, Street Fighter is his last film. I know we've discussed it, and you you think he's having fun and eating that up. I will defend Street Fighter on the same level that I'll defend The Specialist. <laughs> the specialist. It's enjoyable trash. All right. Um, Come on. It's, <laughs> it was the, I, I have to quote the line now. It's one of my favorite lines of movie history. When, I've, when I visited your village, it was the most important day of your life. For me, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> I love that line of dialogue. You've said that. I have to admit, I'm starting to appreciate that line <laughs> it's more. It's a great line of dialogue. Like, legit. So in the world of progress, not really progressing, on October 21st, 
North Korea has signed a pact to end nuclear projects. I don't think that that has turned out so well. Yeah. No, they can be they can be taken at their word, clearly. <laughs> We're learning that now. Yes. I don't know if you remember this one. Do you remember the name Susan Smith? No. Yeah, so I did remember this one. I wanted to highlight it. Yeah, she's the, uh, a person. <laughs> oh, that narrows it down. No, no I, I, it's like I'm not sure what adjective to use. Oh. She claimed her car was carjacked with the kids in the back seat, but in reality, she's the one that pushed the car. Oh, now I remember. Yeah, I remember in, the story. The yeah, so that was October 25th when the kids were reported missing. Th- so this, then I bled a little bit into November, even though this was early October, uh, mainly because the stuff in early November was more interesting. Okay. The, the first conference devoted entirely to the commercial potential of the World Wide Web opened in San Francisco. So when you really think about it, I just it's not that long ago, but it feels like the internet has been around our entire lives, even though it, it really hasn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember when AOL got access to the World Wide Web, and it was a big deal. It's probably around that time, 94, yeah. 95. Yep. Also, this movie shows us the potential of the World Wide Web. It absolutely does. <laughs> Assassin BBS, or whatever it was called. <laughs> Hitman BBS, what was it called? Uh, I think it was that, and it was Weekend Warrior. Weekend Warrior BBS, that's yes. what it was called, but yeah. In the world of internet, so the first world's first internet radio broadcast at the student radio station at UNC Chapel Hill, WXYC, on November 7th. And all I can think of is, is that where, um, what's his name, the Dallas Mavericks over, oh, no, is that where Mark Cuban, since Broadcast.com is where he made all his money, was he working with student radio in UNC Charlotte or uh, Chapel I, Hill? I didn't even know that's how Mark Cuban really? made his money. Yeah. Radio on the internet is how Mark Cuban made his money. <laughs> Where's that money for us? <laughs> Tell me about we it. Were late to, we were late to the party, that's for sure. Uh, then it is still bleeding, uh, but the election that year, you may or may not remember it, that is when the Republican Party with Newt Gingrich captured both houses of Congress for oh, the sure. first time in like either 30 or 40 years. It was a long time since they, the Republican Revolution. Yeah. Uh, and then on the two that you said that I should kill, I'm still continuing for continuity. Uh, the New York Times bestseller is at least by an author that I knew. Debt of Honor by Tom Clancy. It is not clear and present danger. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously those lagged quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've read Debt of Honor. I've read a lot of Clancy, but I don't think oh, I've read that one. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and then the Bill Well, Bo- a lot. I've read like four. He's written like 12, Yeah, 13. he cranked out a lot, as I remember. Yeah, I think I've, I've, I've definitely read Clear and Present Danger. I read Hunt for Red October. Uh, I read Cardinal and the Kremlin. And one more, I forget. Is the Cardinal and the Kremlin about what I think it is? I forget. No, the Cardinal was like a spy. Oh, like codenamed Cardinal. <laughs> okay. So it's not like, you know, somebody trying to become the Pope is headed to the Kremlin? <laughs> no, no. I don't think that. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> that's been sounds, a long time. That sounds like a sitcom, actually. Speaking of sitcom. No, I think Cardinal, it was codenamed Cardinal. He's mentioned in the book, Hunt uh, for October. It's like, our spy, Cardinal. He's getting us information about this new sub. And then Cardinal and the Kremlin is like all about Cardinal. Gotcha. I don't remember much about Cardinal and the Kremlin. It's, it didn't have a movie, so I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> I only remember movies. Uh, my last bit of history, the Billboard 100, is Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You, which I do remember that song. That I don't necessarily like it. but a I, huge hit. Yeah, it was a huge hit. I was kind of expecting, uh, the what's the Gloria Stefan song that ends this movie? Oh, you're stealing I my already thunder. Forgot. Uh, is it Get On Your Feet, I think? No. Oh, yeah, whatever it was. I was kind of, because I remember that being a pretty big hit. I, I was on, almost expecting it. Turn the Beat Around. Turn the Beat Around. I yeah. just said, Turn the Beat Around has to be the worst song in the history of I know you may not say this is an action movie, but it's probably in the action genre in most video stores when video stores existed. Yeah, probably. I can't believe this movie ended on that song. It's so incongruous and oh, so out of no left field. It's just all. like this whole movie is like. Turn the beat around. 
around. I'm going to get revenge from my parents. I'm going to kill them. Oh, God. Things are blowing up. Oh, we're so serious. I'm like, what? So, <laughs> that was a big hit, though. I remember that being all over I, the radio at the It time. was a hit, but it just it made no... Especially the ending. I could see where you find a way to just shoehorn it in at some song or at some club. Fine. I know. The end of this movie is turn the beat around. It's so out of left field and so <laughs> wrong for this movie. Absolutely. This is like it's all about this is like dark revenge tale. Yes, you know, it's like it's <laughs> not honestly, even like a sexy song. It's like this is this movie is dark and sexy, and it's like it's a disco song. It's a cover of a disco song. You're right. It's like it's like Nolan ending Memento on turn the beat. It really is. It's so. I mean, that sealed the deal for me. I'm just like, all right, this is so bad. Who who thought? I mean, they probably just made a business deal. We made this deal. Some cigar smoking executives. Gloria Stefan. This movie's set in Miami, so we need the Miami sound machine. Yeah, put it in. <laughs> but it also, that reminded me just, and then we'll, we'll move on, but uh, to cover that from my notes. This is then two movies in this time period. I, I want to keep track of this. Because Demolition Man, that song is terrible during the credits as well. Oh, I, I agree. I wonder if this is like a Stallone thing in the 90s and I'm going to find every movie that he had just had a terrible song during the credits. This is just a Hollywood thing in the 90s. Every 90s you know, blockbuster had to cram in three pop songs, whether they fit or not. Freaking Godzilla soundtrack. You know what I mean? Puff that Daddy. 90, that's right. It was 98. Puff Daddy featuring Jimmy Page. <laughs> Forgot they about that. Crammed that song into that movie, even though it didn't fit at all. That that's an awful song too. The Sting song from Demolition Man at least wasn't a big hit. It was justifiably turn, so. Turn the beat around was all over the. I remember that being everywhere. Absolutely. So uh, all right. So that's you're wrapped up. That's there? it. Yeah, yeah. Time for the big picture. Let's do it. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. I realized listening back and editing our podcast that we don't do a good enough job explaining what these segments are. So I'm going to make an effort to at least right. explain the segments. So, you know, it was just, let's, let's go over the plot. Let's summarize the plot and kind of talk about the movie and on the, the large scale. I guess big picture is relatively self-explanatory. You'd hope so. But as we get later and later into the podcast, just I, I want to tr- make an effort to explain what our segments are because we stopped. We explained it in our like preview episode and then we never explained it again. And we, like, we assume that everybody is following us at arms rate podcast and that everybody listens to every episode right yeah so anyway so plot summary i mean first of all this movie just wants to be basic instinct pretty much it's it's, i guess it's a cross between basic instinct and like an action movie but they keep dressing sharon stone in white outfits because she wore a white thing in the famous scene in basic instinct but anyway yeah so what i guess it starts in bogota establishes stallone as ray quick and uh, James Woods as Ned something. <laughs> Did you think of Lucky Ray as soon as... He, he, <laughs> he has played a lot of characters named Ray, hasn't he? Yeah, because <laughs> yes. there's Ray Breslin, there's Ray Quick, and then there's one more, right? Because I, I almost said Ray Breslin one episode. Yeah, I don't remember. There was a third Ray. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't remember what it All was. All I could think of was Lucky Ray. <laughs> His name is Ray Quick, and in the opening scene, he's too slow. <laughs> There is an irony. I missed that, actually. Um, but yeah, there are CIA operatives in Bogota. They're going to assassinate some guy. The drug lord, or is it? Yeah, I think that's what it's supposed to be. And neither one of them, by the way, look like CIA operatives. But. <laughs> yeah, they look like just weekend warrior. Yes, of, uh, they look yeah, like they're, they're going to play paintball. Exactly. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's just this movie not having much of a you know production value. Yeah, it's shorthand. Uh, uh, it's one scene. It's like, well, we can get some like really authentic costumes, or we can just go down to the corner like Halloween store yes. and get some fatigues. <laughs> that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I agree. They they definitely do not look authentic. I mean, they're CIA. They're not even like what, they don't need to be dressed right. up. I, that's what I don't understand. To be wearing civilian clothes. Ja- um, I never saw Jack Ryan wearing army fatigue. No, like yeah. That. But anyway, they're they're going to blow up this bridge that some bad guy and and uh, Ray, played by Stallone, is he's the rigger and uh, James Woods is the, the trigger. trigger. Yes, that's their team. Like, I, how does that make sense? James Woods just kind of like hangs around, does nothing, and then that's like, what I was gonna, the, so I I'm still I remember James Woods being my favorite part of this movie. It held up. James Woods steals just about the entire movie. He is chewing every scene he's in. Yes, and it is funny though because I also kind of wonder. It's like I. He does kind of just hang around. Couldn't Ray really do both jobs? You would think so. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you really need Ned there, unless he's like his superior or something. And it's like I only I have the authority to. That's uh, what that's what I took it as. But he's still, got the license to kill and it, not Ray. It still doesn't make sense. I mean, with snipers, I do understand why they work in teams because one has to spot and the other actually pulls the trigger. That makes sense. Right. You can't really do both jobs in that effectively. This makes no sense. Yeah. You run, you set it up, and then you wait. I, I just assumed it was a thing of, like, Ray doesn't have the authority to actually carry out an assassination. He that's, someone else that's, there. That's what it must Something be. Something like that. But there's a little girl in the back of the car, and Ray tries to run and stop it. because he's But he's not quick enough. Because <laughs> James Woods is like, ha, ah, there's no fail safe. He just throws away the, <laughs> the detonator. Yes. Yeah, James Woods is really, it's it's a crazy performance. It is, but to me, it's I I really enjoy it. I did too. I, I generally like James Woods. I mean, I don't know. If we probably shouldn't deal with his. You know, he, he's quite an asshole. Like uh, in his personal life, like he's very very. Uh, to me, it has nothing to do with what your particular political beliefs yeah. are. It's just how you deal with people, and like, yeah, he's just a real jackass. It so. is what it is. But we'll step outside yeah. of that and just talk about the performer. I just want to address it, just to say I don't want to address it. <laughs> so right. I mean, but yeah, but but I do generally like James Woods. I love Videodrome. It's like one of my favorite uh, horror movies. It's so good. But anyway, yeah, so there's a falling out. Ray can't stop the explosives in time. Yes, so we get the first bodies, and Ned Ned is not happy with the results. I gave those bodies to Ned because Ray clearly did not want to be carrying that out. Even though he set the bomb, it's like Ray gets the – Stallone doesn't get credit for these. No, Ned – Ray does – no, Ned does. You're right because he's he's the trigger. For body count purposes, yeah, uh, James Woods. Oh yeah, th- those are James. Those belong to James Woods, and that's Ab- alone. Absolutely. Okay, I'm glad he's he's the trigger. So absolutely, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, then cut to present day Miami. <laughs> that opening scene basically had nothing to do with anything other than to establish these characters. But you could have gotten all of that information from backstory. I was going to say just dialogue. You didn't need. It's really strange that they decided to start the movie that way. Cut to present day Miami, and then for like ten minutes, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> Yes. Because there's mysterious phone calls between Stallone and Sharon Stone as May. He is Ray and she is May. <laughs> there's a lot of rhyming going on. Yeah. I kept wanting to call her like Faye. I, I, I knew, I was like, I know her name rhymes with Ray, but what is it again? Is it May? Is it Faye? Is it, uh, you know, Renee? Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But eventually we learn that she wants to assassinate three people for revenge. Yes, for the murder of her parents when she was a little girl. Right. She wants to assassinate three Cuban mobsters. Yes. Cuban criminals. They're, they're drug runners, I guess. 
Yes, and just like in De Palma's Scarface, they get extremely white act. Well, at least for see, the bosses, get extremely white actors to play. That, uh, yeah, that's true. And you know what? It's a little bit unfair for me. I was really critical about that in this movie, but I have to admit, I still enjoy Scarface, so I'm a little bit of a hypocrite on that. I really like Pacino more than Loja, although the problem is I just like Robert Loja, so I kind of give it a pass, and it's not fair. I think you're allowed to like a movie and still have you know be critical of certain aspects of it. Like, okay. yeah, I mean, that's that's a good movie. Although, I don't know. I haven't watched Scarface in forever. Yeah. I don't know if Scarface holds up or not. I'm not going to vouch for Scarface. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now the difference between I will take Robert Loja over Rod Steiger as a fake <laughs> yes. portraying a Cuban any day of the week. Yeah, I mean, I like Rod Steiger. He's generally... I don't think he's giving a bad performance, but it's just like, what is this character even... Really? Oh, oh yeah? Oh, I think I think his accent is terrible. He's just doing the same thing that Pacino did in Scarface. Yeah, but maybe it's just I like Pacino better, but I'll give Pacino the benefit of the doubt on that. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how authentic that kind of a Cuban accent is. The whole thing of just like, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. It just see, it seemed like the exact same thing that Pacino was doing, so if I you're going to give Pacino a pass... That's why I said I'm being hypocritical. But is it the accent or is it the performance? You don't. You didn't buy the accent. No, I didn't buy either one. Okay. I mean, I whatever. It didn't bother me at all. All right. By the time he appears in the movie, I was already like not taking this movie at all seriously. (laughs) So, so it just adds to the fun. Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, I think that's that's part of it. But anyway, yeah, Ray. At this point, he's like a professional assassin, and he only kills people with bombs. And he's like the greatest bomb maker in the world or whatever, whatever it well, is. Well, he's a specialist. Yeah, he's a specialist. He's the specialist. And that's the thing is, I, I'm, I couldn't tell, is he retired or is he still taking jobs? He kind of seems like he's not really all that active. That's the thing is, all of their conversation, the first half hour of this movie, Stallone is extremely passive. Like, it's all just about, like, she, they're constantly talking on the phone and he's got, like, recordings that he's listening back to their conversations, which is... I don't know what that's supposed to tell us about his character. Is that supposed to mean that he's obsessed with her? Or is it supposed to mean that like he's so professional that he like listens back to the conversation three times to make sure he knows what's going on? Like I, I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to take from that. I, I took it as because there's so much, as you said, sexy saxophone that he he's obsessed with <laughs> okay. her voice. Yeah, her voice. Yeah, eventually they. That's yeah, because she goes like, "I like your voice," and then later she's like, "Why do you call me back if you're not gonna take this job?" She's like, "He's like, I like your voice." Yeah, see, I and I think they they lay it on thick because even that opening scene when you get out of Bogota, it literally has, and I have it later, but a knee. This club has a neon. I don't know. It's not a silhouette, but of a woman smoking. Yeah, and like to me, I'm like, oh yeah, that that's supposed to be Sharon Stone. Oh yeah, this movie is not subtle about this. No, this not sort at of thing all. At all. Yeah, it's very upfront about like. That's what I mean. It's just, it wants to be this like psychosexual thriller of just like, ooh, basic instinct. Every, that's what I was saying at the beginning. Everything is like, every line of dialogue is full of intrigue. You know, it's just like, this is that's such a simple story. She wants revenge. Her, care, her parents were killed by Cuban mobsters for reasons we never find out. And she wants revenge. That's as simple as it gets. But the whole first half hour is just trying to obscure what's going on and she's like oh boy you won't take this job and it's like oh you, you know and she's like I'm gonna do it myself and it's like what are you talking about like you learn you get all this conversation before you even learn what she's asking him to do what she yeah and th- you're right it's as simple as can be because you basically have two revenge stories going on you've got Sharon Stones and you've got James Woods that's all this movie really is is James Woods after revenge I oh, mean yeah. he wants to he wants to get he wants to get raised, so yes, I think he's he's looking. I think it's a revenge story for him too. And yet he had an opportunity back in Bogota to kill Ray, and he refused to do it. 
It's like, you deserve better. And it's like, well, why is, why is he so mad at Ray now? That's a good question for, for later on, why, why he still cares. You want to save it for questions? That yeah. wasn't even one of my questions. Yeah, just, well, let, let's, if we've got time, we'll see if we can get that one answered. In, uh, I'm going to forget. <laughs> it's not one of my questions. It, it never made sense to me what James Woods wanted. I get he doesn't like Ray and he wants yeah, to the get thing back is, at Ray, but it's like, what, why now? And Because it's not even, I would say, well, maybe Ray took, you know, work away. From, well, no, he wants revenge because I, I would say the reason is, is because Ray's the reason why Ned James Woods is out of the CIA. So I think he wants revenge for that. Cause now he's having to drag Tomas and company <laughs> into the, tw- was it, did he say the, he 20th, says the century? 20th century? Okay. I've had to drag you into the 20th century. It's like, it's 1994. <laughs> You can. You're allowed to be a little ahead. You can say the 21st century. You know, <laughs> you're going to be out of date in six years. <laughs> I mean, whatever. We're getting ahead of ourselves because for, up until the halfway point of this movie, you don't know that James Woods yeah. is kind of behind it all. Through ten layers of veils of intrigue, you finally learn. You know, everyone's talking in riddles, but then you learn that she wants revenge. She wants to hire him. He doesn't want to do it. She says, okay, I'll do it myself. She infiltrates herself into the Cuban mafia by, by showing up in a limo. Yeah, I mean, she shows up at a party in a boat, and Eric Roberts, who is the son of the, uh, the boss, he immediately notices her. and Oh, you look like that woman from Basic Instinct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a part of me is going like, boy, she really was counting on him to notice her. But then part of me is going like, well, obviously he's going to notice her. Yeah. She's Sharon Stone, and it's 1994. And this movie definitely takes advantage of that. <laughs> that scene where they go on the like, they're going like an afternoon date to some cantina. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> what I, she is I, wearing. I almost said to be honest, I said that was almost more ridiculous than the nudity. The nudity was totally ridiculous too. I agree. But that outfit might have been more ridiculous. It, it is more ridiculous. I agree. She's wearing like I don't know if you'd call it a vest because it's not. It's like a you know it's a women's garment. Yeah, it's, it's a not, blouse. Whatever. Yeah, it's like a sleeveless blouse. One <laughs> clasp. Yes. No bra. One clasp holding this thing for dear life. It's just, you know, <laughs> and you, I guarantee you the director is just like, make it look like that class is about to come loose. <laughs> I want this whole audience to be leaning forward going like, oh, that class is about to fall off. Because <laughs> it's before she, I mean, later in the movie, she's just topless. I mean, yeah. She's fully naked. So yeah. it's like, you know, by that point, it's like, okay, I've seen everything. <laughs> I've seen it all. <laughs> Patrick Stewart. <laughs> but yeah, at this point in the movie, like, yeah, it's so, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe Patrick Stewart from Extras. Maybe he wrote this. <laughs> it's kind of, he might have ghost wrote this movie. Yeah, that's very consistent with the way this movie th- is written. Well, I think this is written by a woman, right? Alexandra? It, it was. So, yeah, but that's I mean, what I'm saying. Maybe it was actually Patrick Stewart was ghostwriting this. <laughs> sure. But yeah, she starts seeing Eric Roberts. Uh, For the infiltration. Yeah, she, but then Ray decides he's going to do it. Which is like, you could have done this before she put herself at a risk. It's yes. like, he's, he's so wishy-washy. Such a hero, Ray. Yeah. So he decides he's going to kill the three people responsible for... Yeah, that were at the murder scene. Her mother, yeah, so it's Eric Roberts, Tomasa, Tomas? Uh, Tomas, yeah, Tomas. Tomas. What is uh, Eric Roberts' character name. Um, and then there's two other henchmen. There's one guy's calling Beard Henchman. Charlie. Charlie, yes. I didn't get the other... But just the mob's accountant is all I got from uh, the His other name guy. is Bill, because I noticed that, because it's like, oh, Bill the accountant, it's like an ice cream man named Cone. <laughs> you, that's very clever, <laughs> so, and I'm glad you picked it up. I did not... I only got mob's accountant the entire time. Yeah, so. you know, Cuban mobsters like Bill and Charlie... <laughs> <laughs> and they're the ones who are actually played by look you know, yeah. guys who look like they might be Cubans. I don't know their specific backgrounds, but look, you know they look like Latin American but guys. They gave them, very they gave them names like Bill and Charlie. I don't know. Maybe their nicknames. You know, 
the white Cubans that are Eric Roberts, <laughs> and you know they can't pronounce their actual Cuban names. So we give them Bill and Charlie. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, Bill, Charlie, and Tomas, who are the three guys who were present at their parents' uh, murder. Uh, and then Ray decides he's going to do it and just very easily kills all three one by one. Yeah, it's not, it's not very tough. There's, he's I, that good. I guess, but it's like you can't, you can't have a character who's so good at his job that everything is a foregone conclusion. Every, all three times that Ray kills, you know, he carries out these bombings. And every three, they're perfect. They're all perfect. They go off without a hitch. There's like occasionally a moment of tension, like the guy because first he kills the guy in the brothel, uh, Charlie. Yeah, um, who he himself is killing one of his men because uh, there was some cooking of the books. He says September was missing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? How, how subtle? It's like, oh, he's skimming off the books. September right. is missing. If you're gonna skim, you take a little bit a day a right. month. September you don't is missing. Steal the entire month. That's the thing about this screenplay is. Everything is stupid. Even little <laughs> details like that. I mean, it's, I had details about that in the little detail segment, but whatever. I don't mind getting, jumping ahead. Uh, but that, guy, that guy who gets killed actually isn't an actor that I've enjoyed. He's been in a lot of TV uh, roles, and he's almost always a bad guy. I like, oh, I, I had to look up his name, Brian Sexton. I know I'm like, oh, that guy's in a ton of stuff. I recognize the, him in the too. 2000s. Did, do you remember what else he was in? Because I, yes. I recognize him too, but I didn't look it up. So he was in Justified, uh, a couple of seasons of Justified, actually. He was the sheriff who then wound up being. Dirty Sheriff, uh, so two seasons of that. He was How a, late in Justified? I stopped watching like season three or so. Uh, it would have been around then, season three, season four. Maybe that's why I know him from. I didn't know you finished or you stopped watching it. I actually watched it all the way through. I, I enjoyed it. I lost interest. That's fine. Uh, it was the way that show just every season, just like, here's the new crazy villains. Just like, you know what? I Just give me... You know, I mean, I, they they still had uh, what's his name uh, consistent throughout it all. Uh, Boyd, yeah, Boyd, yeah, uh, Walton Goggins. So, but still, it wasn't enough to keep my interest. That's fine. Uh, he was so his first role that I remember him. He was in uh, season one and two of The Killing. He was Rosie Larson's father, Stan Larson, who, who I'll never forget him from. Okay, uh, he's done Bosch on Amazon, a lot of stuff. So I was excited to see him. Didn't recognize him with that mustache at first. Only like, I, I know this guy, but from where? He had a full beard though, didn't he? Uh, I, was, I was calling him Beard Henchman until he got his name. I, I, I remember because then there's a second Beard Henchman. That guy dies, and then another no, guy the, with a beard shows the, up. The guy who's skimming is the guy who I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, the guy who's skimming is who I'm talking about. He only has a mustache. In he's this. the one in all those shows. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the one in those shows. So That's maybe why I didn't... Yeah, I, I, you I, might not have known what you're like. How was he unjustified? That's probably why you don't remember. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, I thought you were talking about Charlie. Yeah, no, Charlie I didn't recognize. Okay, I, I thought I did, but maybe I didn't. So anyway, to get back, you're right... I, there, there really is almost no tension other than that, that one of the, the workers there is about to walk at the door. But even that, I'm like, I don't think it's armed yet. So, I mean, she, she would have undermined his plan, but she wasn't going to die. All three of them have a moment of tension of just like, is it going to go off? But it's not as if Ray does anything. It's like the first guy in the brothel, he reaches for the door, he's about to open it, and he gets a phone call. He's like, I told you to this and this and this. And then he just hangs up and opens the door. It's like, well, that's what, what's the point of that? He, it's not like Ray had to like get up and oh god, I got panic. I got to do something. Like I'm I a got, fly. I, right. Yeah, I, I've got to solve this problem. No, he does, he just sits and watches it. Nothing happens. And then what's the second one? Uh, oh, it's, that, it's that's the one with the fake dynamite, which right. that has to be outstanding. James Woods' reaction to it is great. James Woods' reaction to that whole bombing is good. It's outstanding. Well, the bombing itself is hilarious because yeah, he finds this uh, decoy dynamite underneath his car. Then he still. Trust the car. He gets the, the parking attendant. I need to talk about that parking attendant too. Oh yeah, yeah. Not now. But we'll get there. Okay, but he he, he 
I'll try and remember if you, I've if got you it. forget. No, I, I won't uh, but uh, yeah, he tries. He he has the parking attendant start up his car. Which if you're, if you're a parking attendant, is this what you wanted to talk about? Who? No. What, what? Why would you ever do that? What? It's like, hey, start up my car. No, I like, will cover. I'm sorry, now. that's not my job. We'll cover it now. Oh, it sorry, was, if, it I'm, was, if I'm I, stealing your thunder, that's fine. I don't know if it was in my questions or little details. It's a public parking garage. Why is there a valet? Oh, that too. <laughs> There's no reason there should be a valet inside the public parking garage. Is it public, though? Because he, he doesn't pay. He uses a code to no, get out. If, if you look, if, if we pull it up, you could see okay. on the pull-in, you know, it, it basically says public parking. So. Oh, okay. I thought it was a private, like his building. Had no, well, what he may have is he may have like a monthly pass or something, meaning that if you put in the code, you're already paid and you don't have to then right. pay something else. So I just, it made, other than for the fact they wanted to have this valet start the car up, there's no reason they would be inside the garage. Right. But in that case, the false tension is, oh, he found the bomb and now he's going to be okay. But yeah. no, he pulls out to the gates, he punches in his code, and then the gate counts down from 10. Bye bye. And then it says bye bye, <laughs> and then it explodes. That's the part I enjoy is James Woods shows up and is like, bye-bye, huh? He's never lost, he hasn't lost a sense of humor. I give the movie credit that I recognize that it was stupid and corny, that it then was meta enough to have Woods acknowledge it and say, this is stupid. Well, just having bye-bye at all, it's, it's hilarious enough that he was able to program the the gate to count down from 10. It's like, oh, that's hilarious. And then it says, bye-bye. It's like, all right, they, they took it to a whole level, the whole, <laughs> yes. a whole new level. They just pushed it through the terrible into the like surreal and hilarious. Yes. Uh, yeah, and then the third one's Eric Roberts, and he's yeah. at his like private pool or something. Yeah, uh, he's so he's so good that he has a bomb that can go off with people in the immediate vicinity, and those people don't die because that's yeah, what happens with Eric Roberts. It's shaped to a way so he's only killing his. I didn't look up whether or not that that is even physically plausible at all, but it's absurd to me. I buy it. I really, don't, I, it doesn't bother me at all. All right. He's a specialist. This is his specialty. You know, it's exactly enough explosive to kill a person within five feet. Yeah, and you can get enough within five feet in a necklace as well. <laughs> right, in a tiny locket. <laughs> in a, excuse me, a locket. You're right. <laughs> it's not even a necklace where it's thick enough that you could, like, sneak in. It's like a gossamer-thin necklace yes. and then one tiny locket that's, like, I don't know, like half an inch. If that. Yeah, it's this tiny little but thing. But that, that's enough. Because he's just such a specialist. But we're skipping over the part of the movie that I really love, because we're only an hour into the movie. Stallone has already killed his three targets, and he's like, okay, done. And then the movie goes totally off the rails, because then it, then it reveals, oh no, Ned was behind it all, and he convinced May to go to Ray to draw him out. To draw him out, and he's like, I'll let you kill my bosses yeah. if you get Ray, which seems like a terrible like trade. He's losing his job, presumably, because no one's left. I guess Joe would have been left. Joe, the, the mob boss. Uh, yeah, theoretically. And not only that, I mean, what, what's funny is going into this, what I remembered, I was wrong. I remembered that you couldn't trust Sharon Stone because it's Sharon Stone in the 90s. Yes. And I'm like, you can't also trust James Woods. I thought the, the plot was, my, remember, you know, my memory of it was, he wanted to kill all them off to take over. And I, I was wrong. I, for, I didn't remember that. That's Completely what I remembered and thought that the, the plan was for Woods, which to me actually makes way more sense. It does make way more sense. Yeah, that's what I mean. The, his, his story makes no sense. His, his uh, motivations make no sense. Um, but that's the whole thing. And what's, how is that an interesting twist? It's not. <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't really change anything. She still wanted to kill right. the people who killed her parents, and like, at that point, she's accomplished that. Well, I think, first of all, she fakes her death because she goes in. <laughs> Eric Roberts, when he blows up, she goes in because she wants him to see her face before he died. 
Ray thinks he's accidentally killed her, goes on like a very short well, kind she, of she fakes downward spiral. Her, yeah, she fakes her death twice, though. What's the second time? Because just before they kill, uh, just before turn the beat around, the newspaper says that three people were killed there. So, oh, right. Yeah. So you actually have three fake deaths in this movie. <laughs> I guess so. Um, well, technically, there could be four because when they, they blow up and escape in the boat, Oh. Almost near the end, like shortly before the end. I forgot about that. You're right. It doesn't fool uh, Ned, that's for sure. So, so then, yeah, she she faked it three times. You're right. She she faked her death three times, <laughs> and Ray faked his death once. It's um, a lot of insurance fraud yeah. on her part. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. There is a lot of faking of death. I, I underestimated the amount of faking of deaths in this movie. Uh, I like it even more now. That's great. Um, but where were we? She 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 goes in when Eric Roberts is killed. Ray briefly thinks that she's been killed, attends her funeral, quote-unquote, <laughs> where it's revealed that she's not actually dead. We can talk about that later. We should probably talk about that later. Yeah. Let's the th- details of that funeral. <laughs> no, let's... I, I, but. She fakes her death. There's a funeral. He shows up at her funeral that she's there. Yeah. The specifics of which don't make sense. We'll leave it at that for now. We'll get into it later. Then there's nudity, because it's Sharon Stone in the 90s. Yes, now they've, they've, now they've finally met face-to-face, because he, he wasn't willing to meet with her face-to-face, yeah. but she's drawn him out. And yeah, then you get a scene from the Red Shoe Diaries, basically. <laughs> That's perfect. I should have had that in my nine, notes. A very 90s you are right. sex scene. Slow dissolve, like they're kissing, and then her, her dress comes off, and then slow dissolve to the bed, and she, he lays her down on the bed. And then slow dissolve to the shower. It's like they just decided, let's have men in this comfortable bed for this cold <laughs> tile. <laughs> you know what the only thing I could think of? All I could think of was Elaine Bennis, even though it's not a tub. Sex in a tub? (laughs) Give me something I can... That doesn't work. Give me something I can use. (laughs) It is very strange for them to go from the bed to the shower. (laughs) We skip over the point where they mutually decide, no, no, no. We may be in this comfortable bed now. No, let's go to the shower. (laughs) I'd like to know how that went down, too. (laughs) Whose idea it was. It feels like two different sex scenes that they decided they were just going to make it all one sex scene. That actually could be it. It maybe was supposed to happen later in the movie. Yeah. Um, I love how slow dissolve. There's smoky saxophone playing. (laughs) Scored by John Barry, who did almost all of the old Bond movies, like all the Connery and Roger Moore Bond movies. Now that you mention that, I do recognize, like from the credits, I can remember his name in the credits. John Barry. Yeah. There are a couple moments in this movie where the score is a little too Bondy. Remember the scene where there's a fight scene in a kitchen and the, the music is yeah. like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, the world isn't at stake. <laughs> the world isn't about to explode. That, guy's that so is exactly to, the score. You're right. And I know this. You know, you're, 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 yes. You're, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you're right. It's so blaring. I didn't think about the world isn't at stake, but with Bond, it would be that at guy, stake. John Barry is so used to doing Bond movies that it's like, you know, it's just a fight in a kitchen. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, I mean, like, if you're wearing headphones, you got to take them off for a second. It's so loud. But anyway, I, I like the smoky sax. I like the sexy like sex 90 saxophone jazz that he does in this sex scene and then i love the sex scene goes on uh it's like dissolved and they're rubbing each other down dissolved and now they're on they're lying on the tile and like you can't see below the waist but it seems like they're actually having sex then dissolve and they're just getting clean they're just taking a shower <laughs> and you see more nudity there than right, you did oh, anything yeah. else that's what's so funny it's so dumb and it's kind of like Game of Thrones style sex position where she explains how she yes. how she uh, faked her own death. She gives I, all the details, I forgot. and they're just rubbing themselves down. Like, at this point, they're done having sexy time. Now they're just cleaning themselves. I forgot about so that 
in in the early seasons of Game of Thrones, you're right. It's it's definitely faded. I mean, the sex position is faded. Some, I think, somewhat because of criticism, and just somewhat because they're moving too like fast in in plot now in Game of Thrones. Yeah. But you are absolutely right. That is completely like season one of Game of Thrones. Yeah, totally. Let me explain to you as I lather myself up totally naked yes. how I faked my death. And he's like, "Why did you go into Eric Roberts' tent when he blew up?" And he's like, "I wanted to be. I knew if I were close to him, I'd be safe. Like I am close to you now." <laughs> Whatever she says. I've got a whole list of really trashy dialogue that... uh, It's like a Harlequin novel. It really really is. is. It it really is. But with like a little bit of action mixed in. And like it goes through the motions of being a thriller, but it's the least thrilling thriller ever written. Yeah. And then what? Then the bad guys show up at the hotel, right? And she almost escapes, but Ned finds her. She and she has Sharon Stone has a. We're gonna have to get more granular because so much crazy things. Ha- like the, the first half of this movie is such a straightforward revenge story. Blow up these three guys. Okay, I did it. Done. That's the whole first hour. That's, that's you can summarize it so simply. The second hour is just like what is happening? There's so many like not even like twists and turns. It's just like random things are happening now. She so I did appreciate Sharon Stone having the uh, the total recall Sharon Stone moment when she's coming out of the hotel and she realizes oh crap James Woods there's. Oh, I'm I, you know I'm glad I, I lured him up to the room. She completely turns on the the total recall. She does a way worse job though in this movie oh, than she did a, in Total Recall. It's way better acting in Total Recall, but I, that's immediately what I thought. No, of. I'm talking about the character is just to- bad at lying here. Like her character in the Specialist can't, is so terrible at lying because he's like, it's something like this where he's like, "Where is he? He's here. I know. Where is he?" He's in the hotel. I know he's in the hotel. Where is he? You know what I mean? There's like a series of questions where she doesn't want to give up his room number. And then she's finally like, oh, he's on one of the upper floors. 10 or 11. 10 or 11. It's like, didn't you just come down from there? You literally were there 30 seconds ago. I can understand if it was like a month ago. Yeah. You were literally just there. Like, she's just a terrible liar. To the point where why would Ned ever let her out of his sight? Well, he did. He let his henchman take her, which is a mistake. Right. Because the screenplay wants us to think, like, oh, she got away with it. She managed to convince Ned that she's on his side. It's like, I wouldn't be convinced. It's terrible. <laughs> she's such a terrible liar. Um, yeah, and then she steals that lady's phone and calls him and warns him. Yeah, and so he then, I don't know what he does with it. Somehow he carries explosives with him at all times, and he knows how to d- basically destroy a building. Within 10 seconds, he's wired up this whole room to, with so much explosives that it comes off of the building and hinges. <laughs> falls into the ocean. Falls into the ocean. <laughs> and this, this is i mean this, that this green is, screen was terrible it was but, so damn but terrible the, but the right kind of terrible for i me. love this stuff i the second half of this movie i i have never <laughs> i have not enjoyed a movie this much in a long time <laughs> at least on first viewing like obviously we watched rocky recently but it's like yeah that's a movie i know by heart like this is just like what what is happening what's going to happen i have no idea what's going on and i love everything that's happening the whole room hinges <laughs> And then it falls, falls in the ocean. If you want to think of it, it's just like, boom, it just fell. No, it hinges. And they're like, they're, they're, they're sliding trying, around. They're to like climb themselves up. James Woods is offering to like pull one of them up. And, and it falls into the ocean. And this is after the phone bomb, which is a separate bomb, just deliberately designed to blow one guy out of the window. <laughs> he lands in the ocean, somehow has survived, and then the entire room falls on the guy's head. Yeah, he doesn't, With, he doesn't survive overall. No, he survives the bomb. Just in time to be like swim to the surface, look up, and go, as a room is falling on him. Like a, an entire hotel room falls on a man's head in this movie. Uh, it's it, amazing. It was probably my, my favorite part of the movie. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All, yeah, you're, you're right. The green so screen stupid. is so terrible. So bad green screen. And watching those guys just slide around in that little set, the little hotel set, they're just like, <laughs> oh, no. 
And James Woods is like, give me your hand. It's like they're they're all the way like they can't they've reach. gotta be at least forty or fifty feet away right. from you. I also love how the geography of that hotel makes absolutely no sense. Because when you see it from the inside, they're walked down a big long hallway. Yeah. I actually kind of like the build up to that scene. Like John, the music, John Barry's music is really good. And they're like marching and they're like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna get Sylvester Stallone. He's in trouble. Big long hallway, perpendicular to the right. There's like there's like a bunch of rooms laid out like a hotel room yeah. you'd expect, yeah. just all in a row. Then they go inside. The building blows up. Cut to the outside. It's a single like it's the entire it's like floor. A pen, it's like a penthouse, right? Basically. The whole floor falls off. Yes. So like, how does that? And you know, it's this tiny narrow building. So yeah, I don't understand how any of this. Makes well, sense. the only way that it made sense is that they built that specifically for it to get blown off and fall fall down. Yeah, I mean, it's a model. Yeah, that's, a model. that's how it makes sense. Yeah, it's obviously, the just, only way it makes sense. Just a model. Uh, then yeah, Stallone Ray fights his way out through the kitchen. We yeah, kind of touched on that a little bit. He gets away. So then Ned James Woods still has May. So he's going to use her again. To oh right, he puts another message on the BBS and he, and Ray calls it because he at this point he knows then no me, that that was it, before that was so. He tried the BBS when the um, before the funeral. This was oh so the the call where he where Ned tries to trace the call and they shout at each other. And that was before. Yeah, that was before. Okay. Uh, this one is he brings her to Joe and he says, "Joe, no, I need her for one more call to to lure him out." So he has her make the call and she says, "Okay, those are two separate the, calls, right?" Yeah, you remember the last thing, the last <laughs> words that I said to you. And what I love is Ray says yes. He does, yeah. but then he has to look at the piece of paper. <laughs> I absolutely love That's really funny. I love oh, that didn't occur it, to me at all, and that's really funny. It's this big buildup, and like, oh, they have this connection, and it would make sense, right? It would be better. It'd be funny if she was like, "Okay, what did I say?" And he's like, "Oh, one second, hold well, on." The thing that you said was as follows. He does like a line of lines right. where he's buying time, right. he's buying time. Piece of paper. Uh, <laughs> That's really, really funny. So, You're right. He looks at the paper. He has to look at the paper. Oh, I love I mean, this I even more it, now. I think it's a stand-in because the director <laughs> thinks that the audience isn't smart enough to right. remember. But what I, I'm thinking, it was only like 20 minutes prior. It was, it was 20 not a minutes long time prior, ago. and she, what she wrote is, "I'm not a woman you can trust." I was yelling at the screen. It's Sharon Stone. Of course, <laughs> right, you yeah. can't trust her. Right? She's just right. I'm. Sh- I'm played by Sharon Stone. <laughs> I'm played by Sharon Stone. You can't trust me. <laughs> You're right. So, so then he he. He says, okay, meet me at this place. And this is another fake to death because right. Wood sends her in. And, of course, it blows up. Right. He goes, bad plan, Ned. And then the whole thing explodes. They get away on a boat. <laughs> but they don't get away on a boat because why don't they just get out of town right now? They go back to his place. And they give Ned enough time to carry out a whole investigation in order to track them down. Yes. And, they, and he does, of course. Right. They have the final showdown. Inexplicably. That's the details of how he tracks them down at the end. It's so ridiculous. Should we but cover it now or when we... Let me as well cover it now because, uh, yeah, they've totally lost Ned. They go to... No, like, uh, they've totally lost Ray. Or Ray. Yeah. Ned has totally lost Ray. They go to a sound expert who works for the Miami PD. We've kind of glossed over the fact that... Uh, James Woods has taken over the... <laughs> James Woods has taken over the bomb squad of, of the, the Miami whole, PD. But the whole Miami PD... Not just the bomb squad. He's right. got them all. He's not a cop. They, the Cuban uh, mob has the ha- chief of police in their pocket. Yeah, and so the chief of police just lets him be, be in charge of bam, right, basically the whole PD. <laughs> the At first, it's just the bomb force. squad. Yes, that's what I love is James Woods 
it's owns like, the police force. It's like the Blues Brothers at the end. Like every single police car in the city arrives to take down Ray. But before that happens, they they talk to a sound expert, and he's just like listening in on, on the calls. But you know why? It's this is we're stealing one of mine. But you know why? Because they watch the Fugitive. Oh yeah, I guess so. It yeah, is, right. It's the fugitive. It is very much the fugitive. Nick, I was just waiting for him to say next stop. <laughs> but that one says merchandise. Merchandise Mart. Mart. He's in Chicago. That's yeah. you know that's that's very clear. It's plausible. It's plausible. <laughs> Whereas this is just like buses. There's a he's bus. A bus. <laughs> and then it's like he's got to eat. Find every restaurant near yeah. a bus stop. I got to triangulate this because he's got. That's what I didn't understand. Somehow he Woods jumps to the conclusion. He has to be 20 to 25 minutes away in either direction. I'm like, why? Why wouldn't he just take a bus to use the payphone an hour away? Why right. does it have to be 20 minutes away? It makes no sense. And then they're like, well, he has to eat. Let's check all the restaurants. It's just the restaurant, uh, the, the restaurant, the screenwriter, reverse engineering. Yeah. The way they're going to find him is through this delivery rest. This is where he gets his food. He has, he has it delivered to his house or his, like, whatever, his warehouse that he lives. Because he's not allowed to cook. <laughs> well, because you think about it, I guess, yeah, he's he, got to eat. I said, "Well, why can't he just cook?" Right. But okay, he's got it's it's so preposterous. But yeah, they talk to the restaurant. <laughs> I love the moment where the guy's like, "I've never seen this guy before." Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, we also deliver. It's like that's not what he asked. Has nothing to do with anything. It would be like if if the way that they found Ray was through the post office. Like, oh, I, del- <laughs> I deliver his mail. Imagine if you work at the post office, a cop comes and says, "Have you seen this person?" No, I've never seen them before. Oh, by the way, we sell stamps. <laughs> One has nothing to do with the other. Why are you saying this? But that it's because that's how they find him is they deliver the food to Ray's <laughs> Ray's warehouse stamps. But it's like oh by the way I forgot to tell you we deliver. What a random thing to say. He only says it because the screenwriter knows that's the way to find Ray. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous how they find Ray. Also I want to this is I had this later but I'm just talking about now is the guy who does the sound who listens into the sound yeah. stuff. It looks like Frank Zappa. He's got a big bushy mustache. Right. Uh, I just enjoyed this guy to the point. I think it's because he had a big mustache and the way he's like narrating what he's hearing. I created a little sound because it, <laughs> it, it just, to me, it sounded like someone doing beat poetry. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so here, I'm going to hear it. I'm, I put this together. Break it down. <laughs> Air brakes. <laughs> Complex sounds, slightly muffled. People talking, clamping down steps. <laughs> A clapping shut, voices, mechanical sounds, yes. People getting off a bus, yes, yes. <laughs> it is, it's like they, they live in the village or something. I'm going to give you a little poetry. You know, just people snapping at the end. Like, it is. The beatnik a, bar. It's a, it's a poetry slam in a beatnik bar in the village. <laughs> Absolutely. That is great. Uh, thank you. So uh, anyway, we so yeah, so then just to to wind down the the plot, so the entire police force uses no stealth whatsoever, which Woods also makes jokes about that. That's the reason why his character is just the best, right? Uh, it feels like James Woods ad libbing, ad libbing, like I bet you he did. Uh, yeah, just like this story is so stupid. I, go- I have to comment on. It. <laughs> I have to call it out. Like Ray said, bye bye. He made the thing say bye bye. How can we not comment on this? Yeah, this, yeah, the same thing here. So there's a showdown, and of course, uh, Woods is killed by a, a bomb, and they get away. Ray's got mines lined all across this warehouse where he lives. And again, no tension. He's just like, oh, he's up on one. He's dead. You know, it's like there's nothing to it. He just there's no big showdown, anything like that. And then uh, Ned has coated May's cigarette case with Semtex, so it's going to explode in a minute. 
And then after Ned is dead, Ray's like, I'll take it. And he like, carefully takes it and just chucks it away. <laughs> That's <laughs> Problem the solved. That's the specialist. Oh, I could just throw this away. <laughs> throw it away. There's no clever solution to the problem. It's not like the writer is like, I know what he's going to do. No, he just, he just takes it and chucks it. Boom. It explodes far enough away from them that they survive. And then they run away. And they're, yeah, they, they're presumed dead. They fake their own death. And then somehow he gets enough explosive in a locket to kill Joe. To kill Joe, the head of the actual head of the yeah. Cuban mob who is actually responsible. And then they get in a convertible and drive away to turn, turn the beat around. <laughs> wow, we accidentally kind of harmonized there. That was pretty impressive. So awful. <laughs> it's re- no, it's it's amazing. It's great. You're right. The last thirty minutes of this movie is a lot of stupid fun. The last hour, it's just random things happening, and every single scene, I was enjoying it more and more. Oh, and by the way, we neglected to mention in the middle of all this, just one random deleted scene from Death Wish on a bus. Oh. <laughs> Here's a scene from Death Wish. It has nothing to do with anything. You can put Charles Bronson in there, and it's Death Wish. So I did not connect with Death Wish, but that what that scene felt like is that Stallone needed to action it up a little bit because he maybe that, that's, or, that's about the only real that and the knife knife fight in the in his escape in the hotel is the only real action sequences in this movie. Yeah. And that's why I almost don't think of like that bus sequence. He gets on a bus. I don't even know if it's clear where he's going or what point of the story it is. He's just, it's just character gets on a bus. There's a bunch of punks in the back. Pregnant woman comes on. He gets up, says, Oh, take my seat. They go like, ah, and they take the seat. They jump in it. And then he just beats the hell out of them and then goes on with the story. It's like, I think, I think at that point he's on his way to follow may when she's on that, kind of dating the Katina where, where yeah. Eric Roberts, uh, he, she and Eric Roberts are on like a, they're just, they're just out and about like enjoying their day basically. And he's following them, but it's like, can he follow them? Shouldn't he, he, wouldn't he be questioned by the police? Don't you want to be low key? Don't you want to like, you're so afraid of being exposed that you won't even meet with Sharon Stone to discuss the possibility of committing murder he agrees to do it without even meeting her. That's how afraid he is of of putting himself out there. And then he just beats up these punks. <laughs> is this your idea of a low profile? If it is, it's a very poor decision. It, that's why it feels like it must have been filmed after the fact. They must have like so, tacked it on. Like, oh, uh, test audiences are saying the first the beginning's boring. Again, this is one of those. I don't know how true it is, but on on um, the I don't know if it was the trivia for IMDb. Might have been the trivia. Again, you never know how true it is. But I had read that that Stallone insisted that that scene be added, that he was fearful that James Woods was oh. stealing the show. And so he, he was w- right. Well, he was right, because he, let's say that that's true. I, I don't know that this is true, that I that scene was added. Completely believe it. Even if it was, if it is true, it didn't help. James Woods still steals the movie. And right. if anything, that scene feels like kind of like it was tacked on and stupid. So I think, if anything, it worsens things for Stallone. I agree. It just shows what Stallone's point of view is of just, you know, oh, James Woods through acting is stealing the movie. How can I get steal the movie back? I'll throw a guy through a bus window. Yeah. It's like, that's not the problem. Oh. You're being upstaged because you're comatose. I actually think he's fine, but he's, he's trying to play it very low-key and, like, he's a very like, closed-in kind of a character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's trying to play it very quiet and kind of the, the strong, silent type, yeah. Fine, but then you can't be upset when Woods has been written to be kind of bombastic, no, <laughs> no pun intended necessarily, and he's chewing every scene. <laughs> of course that's what it's going to look like. Right. And it's James Woods. That's what's going to happen. Not everyone can be that. I mean, and that's not even what Stallone is good at. Like, no. He's not going to be... Anytime he tries to be that, it ends up being rhinestone. You know what I mean? Like, right. he can't do it, really. No. So why... It's not, it's not his job in the movie. Oh. Uh, anyway, so, so yeah. that's the plot. That is the plot. Yeah, okay. Want to move on to technology? Let's do it. 
It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? What cloud? So this is where we try and determine, as time has gone by, what technology might have changed the plot in a movie. How would modern technology yeah, change. impact the plot? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have anything really here because oh, wow. I, don't, I don't really know. I was thinking about it, and I was just like, well, bombs really haven't. I mean, maybe te- bomb technology has changed much, but not in movies. It's like, even then, he was using computers. He, he computerized the gate, the, the garage gate to blow up. It's like, yeah. he's already using computers. I don't, I don't know how much would be different. So on the bomb side, I didn't have anything, but I actually had a few on this one. Okay. So you uh, can you can yeah, drive I'll, this I'll because and, I, I literally have nothing. I'll drive this bus, uh, not not the one with the street toughs in the back. Yeah, you won't be driving it for long because someone's about to be <laughs> thrown through a window. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so at the very first, uh, Ray, we we wouldn't have to have that that beatnik uh, listening to the sounds because there'd be cameras everywhere in this city, particularly on public transportation. They'd be able to find <clears throat> Ray really fast on public transportation. Uh, yes. And there's facial recognition software, too, that they would be able to find Ray much, much faster than that beatnik poet. They may be able to know where he gets off the bus, like, or, you know, they may be able to figure out, okay, he's constantly getting on and off this bus stop. Right. But would that get them to his warehouse that he lives? Because that's the end goal, right? It is the end goal. But if you get within, let's say, a few blocks or even a mile, they'd be able to probably... It would be more plausible than James was just drawing a triangle (laughs) because of some sounds, okay? So at least give me that. And talking to a random grocer. Oh, by the way, we we deliver. By the way, we deliver. Uh, I forgot to mention we were talking about that. The the part that drove me crazy is James Woods is going like, have you seen this guy? And the guy's like, no, I've never seen him. And he's like, come on, come on, look, 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 look at him. It's like, he said he'd never seen that. How is that helping? (laughs) It's not, but that's also James Woods. Yeah, that's part of it. But also, like, James Woods knows that he's on the right track because the screenwriter knows he's on the right track. (laughs) Not because for any reason yeah it's like you've got a million other i was just gonna say he could have been like 20 different restaurant grocers before or after that but for some reason come on come on come on because he he knows even though he shouldn't know but anyway sorry all right so this doesn't necessarily change the plot but just that giant earphone that ray is constantly going around with uh during surveillance what i said is that he'd have a much easier time because he'd just have a bluetooth in there and he'd blend in today that's true because today i mean no but that never really comes up in the plot it's not like someone's like hey why are you wearing that it doesn't but i try and treat this of basically how would technology be different and how would it necessarily change maybe the writing and or the plot the story oh that would definitely be the format on which he's listening to those calls for sure because he's got like weird little mini discs right isn't that how he's listening i think so i don't even know what format that is some short-lived 90s disc format yeah Tying into that, I also said, did you notice when Ray's taking his surveillance photo of the uh, Roberts in the limo with, he's just like holding a, a, I don't know if it wouldn't have been an SLR, but he's basically holding a a camera and just firing away. I'm like, that is completely conspicuous of him taking pictures like that. Today, just have a cell phone and it would be much, much easier for him to blend in and take those pictures. That's true. Again, though, he didn't get caught, so. He didn't. Uh, so then you're right. These things would be different, but it's like in terms of the plot, he was perfectly. No one noticed him with that giant camera. For some somehow, no one noticed him. So. That's my point, you're, though. Is that's plot convenience that nobody noticed. You're him, right. But that they should have seen him, and it would be easier to get away with that now. I also said that uh, Rod Steiger, head of the Cuban mob, Joe, would have had to have control not only of the Miami police but Homeland Security, because if there's a bomb maker going around Miami. Homeland Security would have taken this over. That's a great point. And to be honest, the FBI probably would have even back back then. I wonder what the process is. Like, do you think once, because like, if Cuban mobsters are being blown up, <laughs> is it up to the Miami PD to kick it up, or is it is uh, Homeland Security just going to show up and say we're taking over? I think they take it over because there's bombs in public places too. I mean, the one where they they got Tomas, Eric Roberts, was in a hotel. 
Well, was it a hotel or was it a country club? It was definitely a place where innocent people would be. Yeah. Right. It, it's a public place. I you thought know, it was a country club, but it, maybe it was a hotel. It might have been because Stallone. I love how his detonator is inside a tennis racket. <laughs> yeah, I know. That seems and unnecessary. He's, he's hanging out at the pool with I a lo- tennis racket. I love how. Uh, that, that's, I think, maybe why I thought it was a country club. No, it's and just, it probably it was, is. And that's what I'm saying. You're probably right about that. Uh, he may as well have had a sweater tied around his shoulders. <laughs> um, and yeah, then, but it's funny you put you putting those back to back of just like when he's committing, when he's doing surveillance, he's got this giant camera. Could not be more conspicuous. But then. Then when he's bringing a detonator to <laughs> he, he a built it into a tennis he built it into a tennis racket. <laughs> All right, it feels like a different movie. The second half of this movie feels like a totally different movie, and I loved the second half of this movie. So I'm I'm on board for that tennis racket detonator. I loved it. All right, so the last one I had is the way that James Woods Ned finds him would not be able to find him today because that driver who's delivering would not have worked for there. He'd work for Uber Eats, he or she, and it would be a different driver all the time today. Uber Eats or whatever, you know, Grubhub, whatever it is, it would be a different driver every time. That's true, but then maybe he goes to Uber Eats corporate and says, give me all your data of where you're driving. Come on, come on, (laughs) come on. Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, I I don't know if it necessarily makes sense in this movie because does the delivery driver ever see Stallone's face? I don't think so, no. It didn't seem like it. He just drops off food. It it, it seems as if this is the routine. He rings the bell, drops off the food, leaves. And then Stallone waits until he's gone to make sure he's not yeah. seen and gets it. So it's like, when did this kid ever see I, to know to recognize? It's a good question. Uh, I think I disagree with you. I think it might be easier with Uber because then at least they have the data to be like, okay, show me all of the Uber Eats uh, transactions that start at this grocer. Show me all the endpoints. Oh, there's 20 here. Maybe that's him. Maybe. Like, here, here are the 20 customers in the, in the neighborhood. But what I would argue is that Ray would be able to order from different places all the time. Much, much easier. Oh. With delivery. Because Uber Eats, he'd just be able to... Yeah, pick yeah. wherever. And then yeah, he mix right. it up and go to Grubhub. But whatever. That's so. true. Okay. No, okay. In that case, I agree with you. Then it would All be right. tougher for them to find him. I got one. Ready right. for uh, the little details? All right. Let's do it. I always forget where that this one is. cardboard headstone tipped over. The, this graveyard is obviously phony. It's still the best one. <laughs> Uh, we've covered a lot of mine, but not all of them. But I'm going to let you lead this one off. I have a lot of details and a lot of questions. All right. I don't think we need to overview what this This is basically what we do. Find the minutiae and pull it apart. That's the little details. Yeah. Deep dives into specific scenes or moments or yeah. whatever. All right. Uh, I just want to list all of my favorite dialogue. The trashy dialogue of this movie is... God, over the top to the point where it stopped being bad and started being good. It's just like... So, okay, what's funny is three bullets down on my little details, I have an entire sequence of quotes that I wanted to go over. for different. You want to re- just trade off? I, yeah. I just have a list of dial- trashy dialogue that I love. Mine so. is not trashy. It's awful acting. But all right, let's <laughs> okay. go. Well, here's, here's, do you want to trade off or should I just go? No, just go. All right, so here's, here's my list. My favorite dialogue in this movie. At the beginning when uh, Ray and Ned blow up the bridge and yeah. uh, Ray's angry and he goes, you like to taking them down? Now I'm taking you down. You're finished in the agency. You'll go no higher. You're as dead as those people in the river. Oh, you stole it from me. <laughs> that entire sequence is some of the worst acting, but can I just go back? You, it's the writing, I think, that's to, to blame. Stallone is terrible. I don't think you can redeem dialogue like that. Okay. I, well, I'm not disagreeing with you. He's terrible, I, but I think he's trying his best. I'm going to add one more because his acting is awful just before it. Pull the plug, Ned. There's a kid in the car. <laughs> That's true. You're right. That's acting. Oh, is it? That's bad? his fault. That honestly is like 60s Batman bad. <laughs> That's that's good though. Can I, 60s Batman is good. It's it, not bad. It, but I don't think Stallone is trying to be 60s oh, Batman. I, I He's agree. trying to act seriously and pull the plug. Ned, there's a kid in the car. <laughs> 60s it's, Batman is intentional camp. This is accidental camp. Oh, but it, it's still I still enjoy it. 
And then, so I had everything after that that you just covered. It is so bad. <laughs> that, that monologue of his, he was dead at those people in, in the, the river. river. I love it. All right. Did you I have- mean, at the time I was watching it, I was going, oh, no, this is bad. Like, I was not on board yet. So at the time, the first time watching it, I was like, oh, that's awful. But then as I, when I rewatched it, I was like, yes, you're as dead as those people in the river. I was so <laughs> right, hooked so- into the badness of this movie. Just before that, um, did you happen to notice James Woods as Ned's face? Facial expression in the jungle, like a, a piece of the uh, the uh, a tree or whatever hits him, and it just I just had that he, despite being an operative in the CIA, he is not cut out for outdoor work because his his reaction is just like disdain, like I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. all right, uh, it doesn't surprise me. Okay, my next next dialogue. It's Sharon Stone. It's one of her calls with uh, Ray. Okay, she's describing her parents' death, and she goes, "I never thought blood could be so sticky." Sometimes I think I could never wash it off, which is one of those things where it's like, you didn't kill your parents. Like this movie like is just taking things from other movies. Like, oh yeah, it's psychological. It's a metaphor. It's like, well, usually when yeah. a character says that, it's because they, they feel the guilt. Yeah. Right. It's like, that doesn't make any sense in this <laughs> context. It's like, it's just, you know, A, it's a cliche and B, it's misused. It's like, it, it, it's crazy. It's like the screenwriter does, screenwriter does not understand how metaphors work. Agreed. Um, okay. Next one is when she first meets Eric Roberts. And she goes, is there something you want? And he goes, what I want, I take. Champagne. <laughs> <laughs> the way he, he says it made me laugh. And then... Hold, hold, can I ask you something on that? Sure. Coming from my devil's advocate. Okay. Uh, does anybody order champagne at a bar? Who orders champagne? Champagne is normally something that's passed out to celebrate something. Well, I'm talking on the boat. That, that's when they first meet. Do right. they drink champagne later? No, there. She walks up to the bar and orders champagne. Who does that? Oh, oh. And does do any bars <laughs> actually have champagne to offer? The bar on the boat, you mean, though? Yes. Right? I think it, it's a party. They're throwing a party for the a, bank it, or something. You're right. They it, want a bank. It, it, which is not explained, but yes. <laughs> right? he, he says, when they're on the boat, he goes, welcome to our bank. It's like, is this your bank? Is the boat the bank? He says, welcome wanna, to our bank. Can I work at that bank? <laughs> right. It sounds like a fun bank. But okay. You're saying it's presumptuous at a party to ask for champagne? You right, should wait for it to come around. It comes around and is served. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't know of any bar tender that has champagne ready to pour that is true yeah okay thank you i just wanted to cover that but he did though right he pours her some yes he did that's what i didn't make any sense to me so she orders champagne and then later eric roberts also offers her champagne is that how it works no i don't know i didn't notice the double offers her he definitely does because he goes what i want i take champagne and he offers her champagne she orders it at the the bar so she gets double champagne but then uh i also like when he goes he takes her out on the dance floor and they dance and he goes you look beautiful tonight you just met what do you mean tonight Oh, I missed that. <laughs> what, that's the thing. It's like every line of dialogue has one little thing that just does not make sense. You look beautiful tonight. We met 10 minutes ago, but tonight you look beautiful. <laughs> okay. I didn't think about that. That's a good catch. Uh, my tablet just closed. Okay, hold on. Oh, when, when Eric Roberts and Stallone have their confrontation on the street, he's like looking in on their car and he takes, he takes umbrage to it. And well, comes that's up. where he's got, yeah, that's where he's got that camera that I'm talking about. He's right. taking pictures. And Eric Roberts is like, you like my girl, huh? or maybe you like me. And it's this whole like, confrontation. He's like, I don't like you at all. And then Eric Roberts says, then don't stare so hard, or someone might stick a knife in your eye. <laughs> it's like, again, it, it seems, you expect him to go for, for some like metaphorical thing. Like, no, no someone will stick a he knife. He pulls a knife out and literally says, someone might stick <laughs> a knife Someone might stick eye. a knife. It's, it, it seems like a thing that Biff Tannen would say. Yes. Make like a tree and get out of here. Okay, I liked how uh, when Ray lays down the rules, he decides to take the job. Over the phone, he's saying, he's, he's talking to her on that phone booth at the end of the dock. 
It's just yes. a phone booth at the end of a dock. Where are why the, is it there? Why are the wires like? What, it's like the five hundredth least <laughs> objectionable thing in this movie. Yeah. It's like so far down the list. But anyway, he goes, "Okay, here are the rules: one, don't go near them again; two, don't contact me; I'll contact you; and three, if this is a setup, I'll kill you." Not a rule. It's not. A, how can she, it's? If she, either she broke the rule already or not. So right. Didn't seem like a rule. It's to me. a command or a. But just corn. It was just cornball and schlocky. I, I just enjoy that. All right, uh, little danger never kills anybody. We already talked about that, and then yeah, we kind of th- you you mentioned this, but I love the specific dialogue near the end when he calls, she calls him right or whatever they have. They set up the final meeting, yeah, and she goes, "Do you remember my voice, Ray, at the Fontainebleau? Not over the phone, but carried on breath." Oh, <laughs> what a what what a I missed that trashy like, yeah. She, it's, it's she says it pretty quietly. Carried on breath, not over the phone, but carried on breath. <laughs> That's so run- I, my note is just literally, literally my note is Stella Merritt who writes this shit. <laughs> Harry, who writes this shit? <laughs> do it, do a symbol very slowly. Oh. I mean, it, it is a Harlequin novel. You're right. Like if this was a '90s Harlequin novel, it would have had Fabio on the cover. Absolutely, you know, it would have been one of those. So that, uh, that's dialogue, just trashy dialogue that I really loved. All right, so I want uh, on the dialogue front. Did you happen to notice? First of all, I said those guys in that bus. I said that they were like the street, the street toughs on the bus reminded me of the hot cops from Arrested Development. They all <laughs> seem like they're actors more than yeah. they're actually street toughs. Yeah. Soft actors cast to play you know, tough guys. And, yeah. Absolutely. And but did you notice their dialogue is in the fight? You're dead. I'll kill you, you son of a. It's so terrible. I know. That's why it seemed like a scene from De- uh, Death Wish to me. It just it did not fit this movie at all. All right. Out of the blue. And then so the only other dialogue I'd like to cover, one of probably my favorite pieces the james woods perfect is when he's doing the same thing trying to get in the elevator to get up to the hotel room to get ray and he's trying to get people out the best is some new, some people are trying to get out yeah nah, 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 get out of here get the next one hey, you get a new shirt get a new shirt <laughs> it's such a great line i really love that whole sequence when they're heading up I, like i said earlier the, the build-up is, is good like it's genuinely get out of here get a new shirt genuinely tense but also moments like that get a new shirt <laughs> Yeah, that poor old guy. That looked like that felt ad libbed, and that felt like the actor actually took offense. He was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, that guy I didn't actually looked." This wardrobe gave <laughs> right. it to me. That guy actually looked sad. You got any more dialogue? Or I've got some no. That, that was it on the dialogue. I've got some other little details to get into, but that was really it. On I've the got dialogue. a ton of details. At some point, I'll, we'll have to just cut it short. But okay, I just want to talk about every bombing had like a weird little detail. We already talked about the bye-bye and, like, all that stuff, so I'll skip that one. But like, right, So that's one of mine on here, that uh, the head in a fish tank is one of the <laughs> dumbest things I've ever seen in a movie. Well, here's the thing. The, the head in a fish tank, which should be the most shocking, like, memorable thing in this movie, is upstaged by a shoe, by a woman's <laughs> high heel. I have it on there that a guy just throws... First of all, I, maybe he has a... I mean, it is a brothel, so maybe he has a foot fetish, but I'm like, why does he have the shoe off here? Well, you, Wouldn't it be, like, in privacy? Yeah, it, it's a very, very brief shot, because... When I first watched this, the, the bomb goes off. Charlie is killed. Then suddenly there's a shoe in the air. And I was like, wait, did someone, was there collateral damage? Did a woman get Collateral killed? damage. <laughs> right, should I, I, yes, you should. I gotta find it. I'd... It's called collateral damage. <laughs> it's just a shoe. <laughs> but I, but uh, I thought briefly that a woman was killed by mistake in addition to Charlie. Because there's a shoe flying in the air. It's like cinematic language means if you see a shoe flying in the air after a bomb goes off. Right. You assume the that a woman shoe, was killed. Yeah, the yeah. other shoe dropped. She's that's, dead. That's just movie language. But no, there's a brief shot. It's like half a second of a guy holding a woman's shoe. Her foot is in his lap. I had to slow the movie down to see all this. His foot, her foot is in his lap. He's holding her shoe, her high heel. 
And then the bomb goes off and he just goes like, blah, and throws it in the air. <laughs> so great. And then cut to the shoe flying through the air. The shoe is more important to the director than this decapitated mobster who was killed. Which, like the shot of the head going into the tank is like very quick. It may have been a ratings thing of like we got to keep it quick. The shoe is just a lingering shot of the shoe, slow motion, flying through the air. But and we, then landing and kukung, kukung, the shoe. <laughs> Why? Why is the shoe? The shoe makes no difference at all. Why is the shoe so prominent? I could, what I couldn't figure out, too, is the continuity. Because you have Charlie getting blown up. His head is clearly fully attached as he's going, <laughs> getting true. blown backwards. That's and true. then all of a sudden, oh, his head somehow wound up coming <laughs> off and it landed in the fish tank. I can give you a devil's advocate for that if you if you'd like. Oh, please. He fe- I'm, I'm going to say he fell into the fish tank. Okay. The glass cut. Deca- <laughs> the, 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 the sharpened de- glass decapitated. decapitated by the tank. And then just as his head came off, it skipped off the water in the first tank, landed in a second tank. Right? Because the first tank he lands in on was destroyed. So his head lands in a different fish tank than his body hits. <laughs> I wish they would have shown that because that would have made this fun bad even better. <laughs> but you're, right, you're right. I didn't think about it. But yeah, I mean, it's just they didn't plan the stunt out very well, yeah. obviously. All they had to do is cut out the shot of the head going in the tank and everything would have made perfect sense. Like, yeah. They just they couldn't resist. Okay. I'm going to move on the newspaper clipping. Or do you want to... Oh, I, I didn't know. I didn't notice that. I have a lot to talk about with this newspaper clipping. It's near the beginning. It's when Ray's trying to decide whether to take this case. And he finds a newspaper clipping about... Oh, uh, the, May's parents' murder. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's a lot to cover. This newspaper clipping is on for like a second or two. I have three pages of notes about this newspaper clipping. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll try and be fast. All right. First things first. The headline says... May Monroe still alive after parents are killed. Talk about burying the lead. <laughs> the story is that these people were killed. No, the headline starts, May Monroe still alive after parents are killed. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's just the death of the afterthought there. So, so, and why? Child still alive. Breaking news. Child, yeah, child and the, alive. And the thing is, they also use her name, May Monroe. Like, people should know oh, who this is. That's a really good point. Well, so they, I don't know how old she's supposed to be, but they don't oh, put, they, yeah, they, they don't wouldn't. print the names of minors and papers. She, no, she's supposed to be a very little girl uh, based on the, uh, the, right. the, the scene. So you're absolutely right. Certainly less than like 12. Like, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Maybe even younger. Okay. And then the text. So, you know, I chided Bullet to the Head a lot for its terrible like newspaper yes. text and all that. I will say at least they put in some effort to make it specific to the movie. And I'm sure a lot of that's just when it's made. Yeah. When you make a movie in 2012, you know that people are going to have a DVD and going to be able to you know, pause it or whatever. In 1994, they didn't necessarily know that. So I, I, usually what movies do is they'll just take a real newspaper article. They'll white out their actual headline. They'll put in their own headline. You're and never going to actually look at the text. Yeah. And that's what I assume they did here. No, I think they have some kind of like weird library, like a movie studio library of okay. fake newspaper text that is designed to be as generic and nonspecific <laughs> as possible. Awesome. And I really found it funny because it's just, it is absolutely as generic as possible. So you're, and it kind of repeats itself, so I won't go over all of it, but okay. First paragraph. A suggestion that public hearings on applications be limited to one every six months was taken under advisement by the commission. Paragraph two. Many persons feel that some legal action is forthcoming, but it now becomes common knowledge that there is pressure from inside, which will materially change the aspect of the case. (laughs) Paragraph three. An immediate investigation is assured, and indications are that some new light will be shed on the situation in the near future. Available facts seem vague, you're telling me. 
But authorities feel that time will disclose some means of arriving at a solution. Oh, that paragraph is as generic as can be. I love, and it's like very, actually well written. It oh, feels yeah. like newspaper style yeah. in a way that Bullets Ahead totally failed on. They left their tongues wagging, whatever that, that, that article was. <laughs> yes. Really well written, and I was actually like genuinely impressed at the ability. It's like if you, if you accidentally glance at one sentence, it's like, okay, that seems like a real newspaper article. But if you read, just read the whole thing, yeah. yeah, you can just tell. There's literally like five more paragraphs of this generic text. That, that's a good catch, though. Um, this is my favorite one. I'm just going to read this one. Of no less importance was the common recognition shown of the fact that any menace from without to the peace of our continents concerns all of us, and therefore properly is a subject for consultation and cooperation. <laughs> this was reflected in the instruments adopted by the conference. That was my favorite one. <laughs> that's great. Um, so that's that. I mean, it's obviously just a movie prop. But my final comment on this newspaper article, he's cutting something out. It looks like he's cutting out the article. But if you actually look, he's just randomly cutting out the last three paragraphs of the article. It's not like he's cutting around a different article. He's just like, I'm going to cut out these three paragraphs and put them separate from the rest of it. He's just he's Maybe just, they were his favorite just like you had your favorite. Well, a lot of those paragraphs uh, are, are duplicated, so I was wondering if he's like, these are just duplicates of earlier paragraphs. I'm just going to cut these out. But yeah, it's, it's, he's just randomly cutting an article. The article's already cut out, and he's cutting it more. You're right. just, I'm just going to cut this up. So I didn't think the editor did a good job. Right. This is garbage. This is commentary on, <laughs> on the newspaper. You need these last. So, you know, it's Mozart and Amadeus had too many notes. He's like, this is too many words. <laughs> right. I'm going to edit this down. It was a very long story. You can look at the – it was like three uh, columns. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a big story. So those are my, those are my notes on that uh, newspaper. Article. All right. I won't I, read the whole thing. There's a lot more of text like that. The thing is, a lot of these, I'm looking at my notes here, a lot of these we've covered. I got, uh, I turned the beat around, uh, the audio tapes with that, the public transportation. You have to be okay with that. Let, let the general discussion oh, at no, the beginning fine. be a catch-all, and then we'll, that, we'll go in and catch what we drop. So you know? one of the things I, I did want to drop is, <laughs> did you happen to notice? So in that, the, the, the fake funeral, or May's fake funeral, it's a real funeral, fake yeah. funeral. We need to talk about she, that. He, he somehow is like grabbing her leg because she's got thigh highs on, pull-ups thigh highs on, and he somehow knew that she had a gun. He then just takes the gun and just throws it in the holy water. I'm like, that's really <laughs> irresponsible. Yeah. Well, I, he's not a cop. He's not a responsible person. He's an assassin. I thought that was kind of cool. I was just like, I don't want this. I'll leave it here. Like, I gotta put it somewhere. I was very concerned about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I agree. It's irresponsible. I mean, I guess we do learn that he's an upstanding guy. He doesn't want to kill the kid at the beginning. Right, that's what I'm saying. He's protective of the pregnant lady on the bus. Yes. It doesn't, that's extremely irresponsible yeah, for yeah, what Lucky Ray is supposed to be. You're right. I guess I, I didn't judge him harshly enough because I, I just right. thought it was like, it was a cool guy thing to do. So put then, this gun in the holy water. Like, you, like a cool guy. Do you want to cover the funeral now or is it Devil's Advocate? I have it in my questions for Devil's Advocate. Right. So, I mean, so what else have we got? I, don't, I wouldn't mind calling whatever. It's, if you've got details about the, the funeral. We can no, th- that was it. I just I was very upset about how irresponsible that was. All right, we already covered Frank Zappa's beat poetry. So yes. I, I just have one more thing. And we, we never talked about the scene where Ned arrives. He's taking over the investigation in Miami PD. And he's just like, oh, there's just some explosives lying around. Oh, there's this detonator lying around. I'm going to build a bomb and be a tough guy. And like threaten to blow up the building that whole scene is so crazy and like it's the show just how crazy it's crazy james woods i guess but it's like nobody's really reacting like the guy who is like in charge of the bomb yeah he's just like all right you made your points he's so calm about it is is this real like i didn't know how to take that scene it's like is this is he actually going to blow up the thing or is he just joking around like is there actual explosives in there i guess so i took it as there were actual explosives because that guy said he didn't know how to disarm it 
and he was afraid. That's right. Yeah, I guess so. Eventually, he does get a little bit afraid. For most of that scene, I'm just like, why isn't anybody panicking more? Just like... Because they don't know how crazy... They don't know that it's James Woods, and James Woods can be crazy in movies. And he takes his time putting it together to the point where it's like, you had ample time. He's like, I'm going to put a bomb together. Wait 30 seconds while I assemble it. It's like, jump on him, grab him. It's like, why is everyone just watching him do this? Well, because he's soon going to be in charge of the entire Miami PD. <laughs> well, just, <laughs> He arrives... In the police department, and asks stops where a, the yeah, bomb squad is. Stops a random cop says, "Where's the bomb squad?" Shows up, and they they immediately start giving him a report as if they know him and have worked with him for years. Oh, here's what, here's what all the information we have. Like, is this the first time they're meeting, or is it not? I took it as it's the first time they're meeting. And yet, the guy who's the head of the bomb squad says, "Oh, here you are. Oh, Ned, here's our report. Here's everything we've learned. Why are you talking like this? Like, nobody in this movie acts like a human being. You know, like if this is the first time meeting, why aren't they? Why are they Question, speaking to each other yeah, like this? Exactly." It's crazy. All right. You done with the details? Right? I'm done with my details. I'm ready right. for uh, questions. All right. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. So, so this is the uh, Devil's Advocate segment. Yep. We ask each other questions about the movie, and then ideally the other one <laughs> plays Devil's Advocate and tries to answer the question, although usually we just throw up our hands and say, oh, it's a good question. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you want to start? All right. So I'll go right at the beginning. Can you help me understand the plan in uh, Bogota? He puts two bombs on the bridge, mm-hmm. and the car is going to drive over the bridge. They have to have, like, and there's timers on it. It didn't have, at least that I could see, anything that was a remote detonator. I know Woods throws something away, but there's a timer on it. I don't so, know if it's clear if it's a timer or if there's some kind of weight that triggers it. Like, it's sensing like, wh- no, when, was, when the truck goes over it, it trips a wire. I'm pretty sure there was a countdown on that bomb. Was there? Yeah. I don't remember. Because Ray is running as fast as, as fast as he can, which he's not quick enough. Maybe that's why Ned is there, is he's a math genius, and it's like he's calculated precisely. They're traveling at 38 miles per hour, so that means that I need to put 12 seconds on this bomb or well, whatever. I just said, what happens if the car goes at a different speed than the insanely slow speed it happens to be going over that well, bridge? The, the bombs are on the structure of the bridge. So right. you expect that the plan is blow up the bridge. The bridge, the bridge will fall. The car, that's not it. No, that's not what happens. The bomb goes off. The car... Jeep, I guess, cartwheels over the edge of the bridge into the river. We know they're in the river because Stallone says they're as dead as the people in the river. In that river. <laughs> so, yeah, the bomb, where it is on the bridge, how does the bomb cause, how does a bomb place underneath the bridge, unlike the physical like beams of the bridge, cause a truck to flip over and end of ran going to the river because he's a specialist. I guess so. He shaped it so precisely that it was able to like tell the explosion teleported yeah. up through the road. <laughs> And blew up the truck. That's how much of a specialist right? he is. Am I misremembering? It's underneath the road. It's yeah, in the, the bridge yes. structure under the road. It, it's almost... So the road would cushion... It would, it would be between... Yes. <laughs> it makes no sense crazy. how those people are killed. <laughs> Everything that makes no sense makes me like this movie more because it's just... It just commits... I'm committed to enjoying this stupid, stupid movie. All right. So what if, uh, that was my first one. What do you got? Like I said earlier, just Stallone and Sharon Stone on the phone, every single thing they say... I had a question about. Oh, so very <laughs> literally man. every line of dialogue. I mean, here's here's the first conversation we see. He's on a public payphone. Pay phone. Yeah, don't uh, exist anymore. But yes, that's true. There's, there's they do they do exist, but very few. Very few. Certainly not on the end of a dock like later. <laughs> I'm not even sure in '94 they were <laughs> no. in the end of a dock. No. Yeah, who's making calls? There's a fisherman like I need to call my wife. Tell her <laughs> I'll be late. It's Captain McAllister. He's got a call <laughs> exactly. about the hot pants. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so here's here's how the call starts. He dials into the BBS, sees her message with a phone number. He calls the phone number. She picks up. Have you decided to take my job? How did she know it was him? He's calling from a different payphone every time, presumably. So she immediately says, did you decide to take my job? And he goes, I saw your ad today. 
obviously she knows you saw the ad because you're calling. I mean, maybe he already knew the number, but it's like... I was going to say, do you think maybe she just set up a special number just for this this job? Maybe, but it's like, why would you say that if you wouldn't be calling, presumably, otherwise? All right, yeah. Um, and then she says, he goes, I know it's late, but... And then she interrupts him. He's like, wait, late meaning what? L- too late to take the job or too late in the evening to discuss whether or not... It's too late to call you and tell you I'm not going to take the job. Because he's literally just calling her and saying, I saw your ad. I am still not going to take it. Right? And then she goes, it's never too late. After all, you're about to give me a new life. Which, and it's just, that's where I have, everyone sounds like they, talk, they have a head injury. <laughs> They're all concussed. Um, and then she says, I want you to kill those three bastards. I hear you shape your charges. Word is, you're the best. If they've already spoken before, why are they having this conversation now? This seems like a first conversation sort of a thing to say. Yeah, so then the first half of the conversation doesn't make any so sense. So it's like, this conversation, there's absolutely no reality in which this conversation can make sense. Have they spoken before or not? It seems like yes, but then sometimes it seems like this is the first time first they're speaking. Time. Yeah. I just wanted it's to almost, run through every it's one almost, of those lines. Yeah, and it's almost as if they just recorded this stuff Meaning the movie recorded it and then spliced it together in an order that didn't make sense. Maybe, yeah. Maybe so much of this movie was cut out. Because then in a later conversation, she says, I know you've been watching me, wanting to know that I'm on the level. How would she know that? It's like she's been dying to meet him if she saw him following her. Why didn't he? she address him, approach him? Yeah. So it's like, how could she know that? There's absolutely no way. Anyway. Poor writing is a bit the only way it's, to sum it up. It's so bad. Oh, and I do like... This is basically the last like phone like public phone call we hear of theirs, but then she goes, I'll just do it myself. I have an alias, Adrian Hastings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Why are you being specific? Who cares what your alias is? She says it like it's a big like reveal. Ooh, Adrian Hastings. And I was just gonna say, is so how does that make you a killer? Just be you know, I mean it's not, oh, you know, I've I've served in the military. You know, it doesn't establish something that she has some sort of skills. You just made up a name. <laughs> she goes, I mean, if you won't take the job, I'll do it myself. You shouldn't. It'll be dangerous. No, I'll be okay. I have an alias. Adrian Hastings. <laughs> this, I mean, this stuff, I guess, is not a question. I put it in the wrong place. But, you know, That's all right. that, it, that name means nothing to him. It means nothing to the audience. Why do we care what her alias is? I don't know. All right, go ahead. All right, so this one, hopefully you remember this. So that apparently it was the... <laughs> Their bank. Their bank is apparently on a boat. I didn't know that. They have this. Big, <laughs> is it actually? I no. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Okay. They're having. For, but the way you said that was such conviction. I was like, oh, the thing that I was joking about was that actually true? <laughs> no. But can you explain this to me? They've got this big party. It's got like fireworks going on, and the fireworks were really lame. What was the point of those dancers? Were they supposed to be putting out the flames of those candles with their butts? I couldn't figure out <laughs> that entire dance sequence other than it's, oh, it's Miami, so we've got to have something like this. But yeah, it's like a carnival, like a Brazilian carnival-themed yeah. party. So what was, I don't understand, the, the guy dancers just have candles. What was the point of the candles? It's, you know, it's, it just struck me as like, oh, it's a Brazilian dance or something. It's, All it's, right. I thought know. it was dumb, and it just... Butt-shaking and fire... Yeah. Butt checking plus fire equals Brazil in my mind somehow. I don't know. I mean, it's it's for fun. You know, okay. it's like uh, it's, uh, they do similar things in like the tropics and like you know, I guess Pacific Islands and things. I, I guess I, I, you know, I just thought it was it did not seem to make any sense. It conveys danger because this movie is dealing with metaphors. It's dealing with heady topics. All right, it's, it's you're not you're not getting it on the metaphorical level. You're not you're not with it. You're right. That's the problem. <laughs> I didn't get the beatnik poetry either. So you pointed <laughs> you're, it out. You're, this this movie is working eight levels above your head, Mike. You're right. You're not getting the torches and the butts. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're acting like I'm actually insulting you. I'm insulting the movie, to be clear. That's I'm fine. not telling. I'm not saying that you're too dumb to understand the movie. I'm saying this movie is too dumb and thinks it's smart. <laughs> well, then, all right, I'm going to follow up with another one. <laughs> you, were, you were looking like, sad like I was actually insulting you. No, I'm just saying the movie is stupid. I'm going to follow up with another one of my questions. Can you tell me what was the point of the cat? at all <laughs> the cat with a human voice the cat is like meow like the adr for the cat <laughs> obviously just a person a human being meowing into a microphone can you tell me what was the point i don't know timer sh- the cat yeah timer the cat that was to show humanity animals love him so you should love him that's why okay <laughs> and I, that's basically I basically it. wanted to get it in there so that the our listeners knew that there was a random cat in yes. there for no reason i love how when he gets his groceries delivery he's just gotten a, a fish just one fish Come, eat this, this fish this is what cats eat oh that reminds me the cat reminds me of more false tension remember when he's putting together the saucer bomb is carefully and oh no there's explosives cat crawls up a fence nearby him and it's like the movie's building up like the cat's going to startle him and he might blow himself up. No, cat runs away. He just finishes the smart about It's not even like it's not even like a few. The cat went away. It's as if the movie didn't even realize it was setting up the tension. It was just like tension, tension, tension. It's almost. Oh, as no, if, there, was never, there was never any tension. It's almost as if the cat was accidentally in the background in a shot and they right. just left. It wasn't. I think it was supposed yeah. to be trying to create tension, but that's almost how it plays. Like, oh, no, we just had one shot where the cat happened to be crawling up a fence and we left it in. You need to pay off that stuff. It's, there needs to be either a, oh, no, or like a few. That was close. There's never, this movie has zero of those moments. It has the, the setups to all like the tense moments and the thriller stuff. It never has a single like payoff to anything. The guy you know, in the brothel opening the door, same deal. Yep. Okay, here's a very simple question that I have. All right. Ray and May, do they ever discuss price? Is he even being paid to oh, do this? God. How did I miss this? No. They I never mention it. At no point in time. Not it, even like we'll, we'll deal with the yeah. cost later or even like expenses or anything. No, maybe he's just doing it for, for practice. Or for lust. You know? Yeah, lust. I mean, honest, no. That, that, the only logical conclusion is it's for lust because there is no mention at any point in time there's no reference when you see the Weekend Warrior site. Nowhere is any mention of money. But you presumably, no even if a, she has any money. That's true, yeah. How is she? She's staying at some hotel that has to advertise the fact that it's air conditioning. So, I mean, how good of a, how yeah. good of a hotel is she staying in? I don't think she even has any money. Probably not, yeah. Are we supposed to believe that he's being paid to do this or not? Like, I just, This is an important I, detail that I the don't, movie does not care about. I don't think that the movie leads you to believe that he's being paid, that he's doing it out of lust. Is the only logical conclusion, because at no point in time is it established she has any money and or that he is named a price. But he is a professional assassin, right? He's a, he, he is available on these early internet BBSs yes. to be hired to kill people. Yes, I, I think that that's fair. But so he, do you think he can't original- do it for lust every time? He's got to he's got to pay for that you know giant lab that somehow he, there's tunnels that run from a bridge in Miami yeah. under the I don't know where those tunnels lead yeah. and somehow he's got this like warehouse set up with proximity alarms and proximity bombs somehow and yet that's that warehouse is where he gets his food delivered right he doesn't go through the tunnel to get his food no he goes through the tunnel to go to get his food i was confused the first time because i'm like wait a minute he's got this giant proximity in like computer that bridge the building is like the size of a small room there's no way but no it it shows him climbing up when he gets the food and opening up that hatch that they eventually run through you're right he does come through the hatch yeah so all right Here's what I want to know is that at one point, this had to have been a cut scene, but I still want to try and explain it. 
Ray looks out and sees it almost looks like a monorail, but I think it's it's just a train. Yeah, and he says, so. oh, right on time. Yeah. Is he just a fan of public transportation? He's always taking the bus. What was the point? It, it, honestly, <laughs> true, yeah. it's there's no continuity to it. It's just him looking at a train. And his cat. Uh, uh, and his cat. <laughs> uh, right on time. I mean, was that like his escape? Like, is he going to jump on the train if he well, had to make a quick escape or what? I think it's two things. I think from a movie-making point of view, Stallone has absolutely nothing to do with the first half hour. He's talking on the phone to May, and he's sitting around <laughs> deciding whether or not to take this job. Okay. So it's like, we need to have a scene with Stallone or hear audience will forget he's in this movie. What can he do? <laughs> he, can, he can comment on the train yeah. schedule. But from a movie point of view, I will actually play devil's advocate here. I think... As an assassin, he needs to know how reliable... He's an assassin who takes public transit anywhere, like you said. Okay. He's a fan of All public right, transportation. So then what you're saying is he's pl- planning routes to make sure that... Yeah, he needs to know how reliable right. the train is in case he needs to take the train. I, I can buy that, but it still seems a little ridiculous. It is, I expected some like payoff, that like something was going to happen on that train. <laughs> Silly right? you, for expecting payoff in this movie. <laughs> Fair enough. That's the wrong thing to expect. All right, what else you no, got? No, you're right. It's, it's a weird scene. Uh, September's missing. We talked about that already. Yeah, that is, that is great. Uh, oh, okay. So Eric Roberts and Sharon Stone, they're out and about during the day. They're in some cantina. Yeah. And Eric Roberts is like, excuse me for a minute. And they just beat the hell out. Or, you know, there's some guy there. <laughs> You're right. There's no, no backstory on that guy. No backstory. Why is he? You hear him. Eric Roberts says, like, where were you last Thursday or something? That's after he's beating on him. Or his, his henchman is whatever. Beard henchman, Charlie. Beard henchman number one, because then there's a second beard henchman who is in with the PD later. We never learn anything about him, but my question is, was that just happenstance that they he was out on a date with with her and just happened to come across a guy who okay. owed him money or something? Or do you think he planned his date around this beating <laughs> and brought her to this beating? I like I think that the actual answer is the the second one. Oh no, the first one. <laughs> okay. that, no, 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 I like the second one better. I like no, I like the second one better. I think it's actually the first one that it's just bad luck on that that poor Saps part. But I like the idea that Tomas is planning his date. Yeah, I know. I know this loser hangs out at this cantina. I'm going to show her how tough I am. Like, yeah, maybe I'm going to show her that I take things that I want <laughs> and I give beatings when I want. I mean, it would be consistent with his character yeah. for sure. I Eric like, Roberts, as always, playing the biggest asshole. I mean, he, even Ned is kind of a nicer guy. Cause there, okay, oh, occasionally absolutely. with like Joe, he's very sweet. I was like, oh, I'm sorry your son died. Whereas Eric Roberts is never nice to anybody. all the time. Yeah. I, I, so I do. I think you want to cover this, too. The funeral. Yes. I want to know, why does Ned get to that funeral so late? And why would he believe an obituary for an alias in the first place? Well, was the alias in the obituary, or was I, her? No, I think her real name was in the obituary. Was it? Okay, then I, I miss I missed that one. Because she that. says in the shower she dropped her ID, unless she had a fake ID with the alias. Maybe she does. Uh, either way. So you never see a sign at the funeral that but, says, you know, May, whatever. Right, or, but or, a, a funeral, it's going to tell you when the funeral is happening. Ned gets there outrageously late. I would be there camped out. He gets there basically at the end of it, and she's already gone. Well, I think he's just stopping in, right? Because he doesn't want to expose himself. Like, this is an opportunity for Ned maybe to catch him if he knows. If Ned knows that the funeral is no, no. happening. I'm saying, why does Ned get there so late? Oh, Ned gets there late. You're he right. He literally, is he pulls a gun on them as they're walking the casket out 
to prove that it's not her. <laughs> right. Open the casket. He literally is there at the end of the funeral. If you're trying, if you think that this may be a way to go find her or and or Ray, you should be there staking out even before the funeral starts. Yes, that's for sure. Isn't there a scene prior where he like discovers that the funeral exists? Right? Isn't there something at the police station where he's like, yeah, oh, he reads the paper? But I took that as that it was bef- not like as the funeral was going on. But maybe what you're gonna say I think, is, I didn't think about it really, but I think I interpreted that as he saw it. When like, oh, I'm already late for this. No, I'm right. out. Okay. So what, I, I know you want to talk about this funeral. Do so. we see the obituary or is it just, he just looks at a paper. We never see a, an insert shot of the I paper. I don't think you see the actual obituary, but okay. I don't, I don't pause and zoom in the way you do on those. So, all right. So yeah, this funeral makes absolutely no sense. She says in the shower, she dropped her ID into some poor woman OD'd in the hospital. Cause I guess she was there being treated for burn because she was in the explosion. She survived it, but maybe she went to the hospital to get treated for, Apparently. she seems fine. She doesn't have a scratch on her. Yeah. Or did she go to the hospital? It doesn't matter. This isn't even my question. She goes to the hospital, drops her ID in some poor woman's, some, some poor woman's OD. Yeah. In her purse. That's how she fakes her death. This woman is at least 20 years older than Sharon Stone. <laughs> Thank you. Number one. Okay. Number two, it's an open casket. <laughs> it's not as if, She's right. fooling anybody. Number three, some girl is up giving an obituary that doesn't seem to have anything to a do. A eulogy, but whatever. Or, sorry, a yeah, yeah. eulogy. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with Sharon Stone's character. Oh, she helped the Cuban immigrants and this and that. It's like, is that Sharon Stone she's talking about? Or is it the actual woman? In no, it's the, the, it's the actual woman. In which case, how did this woman's family and friends find out about her funeral because it's under Sharon Stone's name. How did, how did they show up? How did they know this funeral's happening because it's not under the real woman's name? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It's not. There's no possible way that this can make sense. <laughs> it's total nonsense. <laughs> right? Who are these people? And why are they not disturbed if the wrong name is on the funeral? I didn't think about that. I and mean, that's why all. they never show the sign saying, you know, May Matilda, whatever, whatever last name is, May something's funeral. Monroe. It, Monroe, yeah. It never says, you know, services for May Monroe, you know, because it would call out the fact that it's like, well, wait, if the sign says this, how are this real woman's loved ones there? And if, it's, <laughs> if, and if the funeral's not under Sharon Stone's name, then how is anybody fooled? Why is Ned and Ray, why are they showing up? You're right. Neither <laughs> possible totally reality can possibly makes sense oh that's a good catch I mean, that's, I'm just like this movie is so bonkers it does not care the screener doesn't give a shit <laughs> she's just like I'm gonna write this scene does it make sense she didn't even think about it she you, doesn't know you she got- just wanted it to happen I want this to happen does it make sense that this would happen shut up <laughs> That's the movie. You've had a lot of violations of the verbal morality statute on this episode. <laughs> no, I just said, okay. no, I just, just once. No, you've had a couple of assholes, too, I, but I, that's all right. Oh, okay. All right. So These I, are mild. Like, then we're allowed to do it. All we're right. not going to lose our clean rating on iTunes. No, me. we're not. But uh, I, I do think you might lose a, a verbal morality statute. Credit. I haven't been putting those on, but I can if, uh, if need be. I actually had hoped you would, but that's all right. I've got one last step. I, I, I totally forgot about it, to be honest. I'll, I'll put them back on. <laughs> You are fined one credit for a violation of the verbal morality statute. I've got one last devil's advocate, and it is another one of my favorite James Woods moments, and I think it's the only reason it's in the movie. But can you explain to me, how does the bomb squad truck blow up? (laughs) Yeah, There are no bombs outside. I would love to play devil's advocate. I cannot explain it. Other than to set up the line from James Woods, which is great. Ah, It blows up the bomb squad (laughs) truck. Ironic. I like it, right? Well, also, doesn't he say, I taught him that. Taught him what? Just to (laughs) magically blow up cars? What do you mean? I don't know. What does it mean? What does he mean? 
So you 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 are admitting there's no way to explain how the bomb squad truck no, blows up. No, I mean it wasn't one of my questions, but it was in, in the moment. I'm going like, what? Okay. Other than, I was just willing to accept anything at that point. I was just I, I had the, the Stockholm syndrome was complete. I was just like, okay, he, car car blow up, good, fine. It is effectively last action hero. Right? Here's another explosion for <laughs> your movie, kid. Even last action hero. I remember for a long time in the chase scene in Last Action Hero where yeah. the where the guy. A, a random, basically, a guy gets shot, falls out of the car, goes into an ice cream truck, yeah. ice cream truck blows up. For years, I didn't realize that the guy was holding dynamite. So it was just like, in my mind, it was like, oh, it's oh, hilarious. It's satire. That's right. what I always took it as as well. But in my mind, it was like, oh, this movie is making a commentary about how in movies, how easy it is for cars to blow up. Just a, just a human being colliding with it. But then when I realized that he was holding dynamite, I was like, oh, well, there's an actual reason for it. That's See, a bummer. But, I but think, in this movie, it really is just magic and nonsense. Like, I, breathing on a car will make it blow up. And in Last Action Hero, though, I think the reason why you're led to believe that, and I do, is because they've got, just before it, Jack is swerving, not hitting cars, and they're exploding. <laughs> yeah, too, yeah. So it's set up for that, and you're, th- this movie completely lives up to that. Of the bomb squad, the irony, it blows up, but no explanation of how it blew up. <laughs> yeah, and, and then the All fan right. gets blown up, too, just randomly. Or, and then there's like a bridge that collapses. Just like yep. random things are exploding. I guess those make more sense because they're part of the structure. Yeah, I, those I could buy. The bomb squad truck, I had to call that one. Oh. All right, I'm going pl- to actually play that Devil's Advocate. He, oh. huh, he, he hid mines in the pavement outside. His defenses are not just the building. It's the parking lot and the, the pavement around the building also. I so when th- a car pulled onto the, the thing, it blew up. I don't think that's true, though, because I'm pretty sure the outline, he says that I have the entire interior rig, but whatever. We'll just... I think he does say interior. And also the, the computer program that only he talks has it, to. Right. Has it mapped out for the interior. I forgot. I just re- remembered how that computer that talks to him, it's like, oh, the build, building security system is armed or whatever. And then at one point, it address, addresses Ray in, like, by name. Yes. He goes, intruders approaching Ray. <laughs> It's like 2001. It is. What are you the, doing, it's right? It's the L9000. Okay. So All right. Done, done with the stuff. I am done with it. So time for the Silk Cozart Internet Memorial Internet Research Memorial Corner. I wanted to change the the name of it, but whatever. Oh, oh y'all. Yes, y'all. Silk Cozart Memorial Internet Research Rabbit Hole is what I'm okay. proposing. But fair the enough. Corner is fine. I real I only say that because I realize I. I copied an internet research corner from another podcast. Oh, okay. Another podcast has an internet research corner, and subconsciously I stole it without realizing it. And then I listened to the podcast. I was like, oh, wait, I just accidentally stole that. All so, right. whatever. Okay, the rabbit hole. We used to call it a rabbit hole back in the day, back yeah. in the Arnold days. So, all right. So, here's what I did for the Silk Cozart Memorial Internet Research Rabbit Hole. I wanted to look into. What did that mean? Suggested by the series of novels. Oh, yes. I didn't do it as derisively as you were talking about it before the episode, but I rolled my eyes when I saw that on the credits. No, so I, 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 was, I, I was satisfied with your level of the reading. Okay. All right. Suggested by the series of novels by so-and-so. Never seen that before in my life. Uh, John Cutter is the actual... So, the, so, okay. I'd never heard of them either. They were written from like 84 to like 92 or so. Okay. Maybe they were still going on in this, they're still being written when this movie is released. I'm not sure. As schlocky and trashy as this movie is, these books take it to another level. Really? They're less kind of psychosexual. They're less like, like Harlequin novels, and they're more just complete ripoffs of James Bond novels. Oh. <laughs> it's just this guy wanted to write James Bond novels. And it's embarrassing because. The, uh, the real author's name is John Shirley. All right. Writing under the pseudonym John Cutter, 
about a character named John Sullivan. So it seems to me, the Johns of it, he's just inserting himself and it's like, what if I was the coolest guy in the world? I'm an assassin and I get the girl and it's just, you know, he's obviously just a book series where this guy inserted himself yeah. into it. So They must have had some level of success, though, if he was able to get that many published. I mean, success is relative. You, neither one of us has heard of these. I mean, I get, they got a movie made, I guess, but it bears absolutely no... Resemblance. resemblance at all. Okay. The character's name is John, what is it? John Sullivan. Yeah, and it's Ray. Yeah, Ray Quick. Ray um, Quick. <laughs> so I looked up these books. The first book was a buck. It was 99 cents. <laughs> I bought it. I read the first chapter. <laughs> Let me read to you some excerpts. It was a buck. Specialist One, A Talent for Revenge is the name of the book. And then Sounds like a Hardy Boys novel. It reads like a Hardy Boys novel, kind of. But, like, way trashier. I was just, not to disparage, I actually liked the Hardy Boys when I was a kid, so. I think there's different eras of Hardy Boys, and I think they're written by different people, and some yeah. are better than others. Yeah, I like them, too. Yeah, I, I can't tell if these books are for young adults or if they're for, for adults, because some of it is just appeal. I mean, it's for 13-year-old boys, basically. That's, right. that's what these books are for. Let me read you two excerpts from the first book. Uh, chapter one, Strangers and Fists, Guns and Old Friends. <laughs> He couldn't decide on a title for chapter one, so he used both. So I'm going to try to read this like an audiobook, I guess. I don't know. All I'm right. Gonna, I don't have the best voice, but I'll try. <clears throat> yes, said Malta. I know the sort of man you mean. This is the first paragraph in the novel. All right. Yes, said Malta. I know the sort of man you mean. Or rather, I know the sort of profession you are referring to. But you must understand that these men are not necessarily of a single type. They come from many countries, these mercenaries, and many cultures. Some things they have in common, such as the ability to kill. <laughs> But some kill more than is necessary and enjoy it. Others kill only when they must and regret it. And there is one, only one, who kills only those who truly deserve killing. And it is my advice that this man is the one you should seek. Oh, that is really bad. That's the first paragraph of the first chapter. I love the notion that, like, it's like a Goldilocks of assassins. It's like some assassins are jerks and just kill too many people and enjoy it. Some <laughs> assassins are too mamby-pamby. Yeah, you got to get just right. There's only one man who can... John Sullivan. He's the, he, he's the porridge is just right. He enjoys killing the exact right amount. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, and then a couple paragraphs later, they're, t- you know, they're talking about hiring this guy. And then he goes... He is called the specialist. He specializes in vengeance. Oh, <laughs> He's not a bomb specialist. He's just a badass assassin. That's all he is. In this that that is way worse than this. It's really worse. Okay, so then what happens is cut to, I cut to, it's a book, but you know, <laughs> next, next section is uh, John Sullivan. He's in France. He's trying to avoid, he's like, oh, I'm running out of money. My last job was two years ago and like, I need a job, but I don't want to do any more killings, whatever. It's, it's bad. And then suddenly some guys jump him randomly. He fights them. He beats them up with a, with a oar, like a, a boating oar. Yeah. Then here's what happens: the cops are coming. Oh, and during the fight, he just happens to spot a woman in a bikini, a white bikini, driving uh, an MG, which I guess is a car. It's important for the. So here's this, this is the other excerpt I want to read. Nerves singing with adrenaline, Sullivan looked around for the cops. He saw the small French patrol car. It's toy like gum. Bo- oh, it's toy like gumball flashing down the street. <laughs> There were four cops in it looking for him. They hadn't seen him deal with his assailants. Too many cars blocked their view. Just when they drew near, when Sullivan thought sure they'd see, when Sullivan thought sure they'd see the stunned men groaning between the cars, the girl in the white MG stood up and dropped her bikini top. (laughs) 
She let it fall away from two glorious sun-ripened breasts. <laughs> Shoulders thrown back. Breasts jouncing with every movement. <laughs> jouncing? Is that even a word? I don't think so. Uh, breasts jouncing with every, her every movement. She waved at the police. She had their full attention. So when they pulled up, they didn't see Sullivan or his victims. The eyes of the four gendarmes were fixed on her bobbling, wine-nippled breasts. (laughs) (laughs) That way, the girl shouted in French. She pointed them away from Sullivan. So as trashy as this movie is, that is much worse. I don't plan to finish reading this book. It was 99 cents. (laughs) Hopefully well spent, if not just for the podcast. But man, oh man. That was really bad. And that's kind of how James Bond novels read. I've read most of the James Bond novels. It's like if you took that but made it like not so terribly written, jouncing, you know. It's amazing that somehow, even though it has nothing to do with the books, that these books got adapted for a movie. It's like that got bought. Someone in Hollywood's like, we're going to make that into a movie. I want to see those jouncing breasts. <laughs> I wonder if that's how they pitched Sharon Stone. We need somebody <laughs> with jouncing breasts. I, yeah, I, <laughs> well, they, they did find someone. <laughs> they called the right actress. Um, anyway, let's move on to the body count, I guess. Yes. All right. So total body count of 16. Uh, Stallone had yep. 10 total. Yes. That's consistent with you. I counted the flashback. It sounds like you did also. Yep. It happened on screen, even though it was before the movie. I, yeah, that was number. Those were seven for me, May's parents, because I had five in the jeep uh, with the kid. I don't have my numbered, but yeah, ten, okay. we're lining up, so that's fine. So uh, yeah, James Woods got three right at the top. So there's that the jeep yep. explosion at the beginning, and then uh, Charlie got three, two in the past, and one uh, for the September stealing, <laughs> uh, whatever brothel runner, yes. brothel owner. Uh, so yeah, sixteen total, ten for Stallone. So. Just to make it clear, this segment is to compare Stallone's body count with Schwarzenegger's just on average. So yep. uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger ended up with 14.76 per movie as a body count. Stallone right now has 209 across 12 movies. So it's dropped a little bit to 17.42. The expendable lead is shrinking and shrinking. Yeah, it really is. All right. Uh, we still have, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save this thought for later. So let's move on to the Wrecking Crew. Award. We got to give the award. Uh, this one was easy for me. It wasn't even close. Well, I have not even really decided yet. Wow. All right. Well, I'll just lay out mine. Without a doubt, best part of the movie, he doesn't have the same amount of bodies, but I don't care. It goes to James Wood as Ned, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was on the fence, but you're right. I, James just, Wood's... Because there's not... I mean, in terms of... It, it is an action movie. There's not really that many kills. There's not ma- that many great ones. It's barely an action movie. It, like, it, it is it's barely. right on the fence with Thriller, I'd say. Yeah. So with that, it to me, it's... Who's the, what's the best part of the movie? And without a doubt, it's him. Yeah, when you imagine the movie without James Woods... Ooh, is it grim? Yeah, it would be pretty unwatchable, whereas I found this movie highly watchable. So, uh, yeah, I guess he deserves most of the credit. Yeah, I mean, right. not just him. It, it, I was enjoying... Because here's the thing. He's bringing a lot of energy, and like he's livening the movie. Like He's definitely... you know, Without him, without that character, this movie would be kind of... It would be very self-serious in a way that would be tough to watch. But I, I also enjoyed the self-serious stuff because it was so terrible and corny. <laughs> so, but it's like, yeah, maybe too high a concentration of that, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy it as much. Because yeah. at least James Wood, rep- he represents a break from that stuff, at least. Yep. Okay, I'm going to give it to James Wood also. I agree. All right, we, we agree. We agree. So then we'll see if we agree on the, uh, the Rocky rating. I don't think we will. Hey, hey, what the hell are you doing? You're 
punching car accident victims. No, 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 you don't understand. He was bad-mouthing my film. This is the segment in particular that I <laughs> we need to explain every single... Because uh, we're just like, oh, I give it a Tommy gun. It's like, no, no one knows what this means. This is the first person listening, so... All right. This is the segment where we rate each movie using our scale of Rocky opponents. Yes. From Spider Rico up to, to Apollo, Apollo Creed. Creed. So Apollo Creed is the pinnacle, Spider Rico is the absolute basement. That's absolutely right. And for the first time, I'm awarding this movie an Ivan Drago. Wow. Uh, I, that's, uh, I enjoyed it on that level. Wow. So I, I'm going to admit something to you. I was close. I was really close to an Ivan Drago. I didn't exactly get there, but I didn't want to disparage it much, so I'm going to split the baby. I gave it, I think, my first Mason Dixon. Okay. So I think that it is not a good movie, but it is an entertaining, fun movie. But it's still, it's just not there. There's too much of the seriousness to it. The scenes that are fun, silly. <laughs> yeah, but the seriousness is also silly. It's dumb. It's silly it's in just, a totally but it's not different way. Good. It, I don't know if it's, it, that first 20 minutes isn't necessarily that much fun. So that's why I went with the Mason Dixon. It's only fun in hindsight. I agree. The first time watching, I was just like, oh, God, I'm dying. But then the second time watching it, I'm going like, oh, I actually love this movie. Now I love this stuff, too, just by like association. I'm just like, oh, I, I realize this is terrible. And like the Harlequin novel quality of it, I, I started to enjoy the second time through. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like it's, it's really rough to start. It's not, I mean, I guess Bogota is supposed to be the slam-bang opening, but after that, it's just like, yeah, it kind of grinds to a halt for a while. The one thing I will give to it is this is a movie that I probably wouldn't seek out necessarily to watch again, but I would watch again. Oh, I might end up buying this on Blu-ray. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, honestly, I never would have guessed that. Well, and I think what you just said kind of touches on something. Someone said this once. I don't know if it was a podcast I listened to or what, but I remember hearing someone say this, and I remember thinking, like, that's very true. Bad movies that are enjoyable, or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I I enjoyed this movie, so therefore I think it's a good movie. But you know what I mean when I say bad movies that are enjoyable? Someone once said that the best ones of those are the ones that continually are changing the ways in which they're bad. It's like... (laughs) You know, a bad movie that's only bad in one way for two hours gets boring. I, I get and I think that's what it is. It keeps fresh. It's like every scene is bad in a whole new way. Well, this is a, this is a positive development because I, I will say I wasn't sure uh, how this was going to go. But I like the fact that you have discovered something that you may purchase a new Blu-ray on the Stallone collection. Oh, I've done that. There have been a couple of Arnold movies that were like that. It's like, oh, I actually really like this movie. And, you okay. Know. Um, yeah, this might be the first Stallone where that's happened. Where yeah. it's like, oh, this is a nice surprise. Yeah. Because, you know, we've talked about in the past of just, you know, we're committed to watching all these movies and it's, it's going to be a lot more feast and famine. But, you know, hey, I feasted this time. I, I enjoyed it. That's good. And that actually is a good segue into uh, what we got to close out here with, which is we got to figure out what we're doing next. Yeah. And it's your pick. It's my pick. So I'm going to the Rambo well. All right. Really? We're really. This is for sure action. No doubt about it. <laughs> yes. All four Rambo movies are action movies yeah. without a doubt. And part of the reason why, I mean, we're getting pretty deep into the season now. It's time to pull the ripcord on Rambo. And originally, I was going to go with the fourth Rambo because Rambo 5 was just announced. And I thought, let's watch the fourth one because odds are Rambo 5 will be pretty similar to 4. Because 4 is pretty different from the other, other three. Um, you've, never, you've only seen First Blood, right? Yeah, that's it. Okay. But then, you know what? I don't want to go out of order. You can feel free to go out of order if you so choose, but you, you don't have any context, so yeah, what I, do you know? I'm not going to. 
So, so you know what? I don't want to start at the end. I want to start at the beginning. All right. First blood. That will First be our blood. next episode. All right. I'm looking forward to it. It's, this, uh, this is going to be a – we're getting really back into the action now. Yeah. And well, by Rambo standards, First Blood is like the tamest. It's like yeah. almost a thriller. <laughs> it's like almost on the fence. Yeah. By most movie standards, it's action fact. But by Rambo standards, All right. it is extremely tame. But yeah, it's, it's my favorite Rambo movie as of now. Maybe that'll change. Maybe it won't. But well, uh, I'll only learn as we go along and as we watch the other ones. Well, so. certainly it's your favorite because it's the only one you've seen. Yeah. Is it a movie that you like even, or is it just like you've seen it and you have no strong opinion about it? Or? Uh, it's the latter. It's like, I've seen it. I don't have a strong opinion. Okay. That's kind of my impression. I, yeah. I, I'll probably have a stronger opinion now that we're doing this and, and spending a lot of time working on it. Yeah, so. that's. I'm looking forward to. It's fun taking you through the Rocky movies in a way because I, I enjoyed kind of talking through Rocky. But you've seen all those movies where it's like. I, Part of me is even more excited to go through the Rambo movies and see your reactions to them as someone who's never watched them, which is still kind of shocking to me, but uh, it'll be... I'm not perfect, right? No, I mean, I'm not a huge Rambo fan anyway. I get it, but uh, it'll it'll be interesting either way. All right. So that's the show. That is the show. So uh, if you've enjoyed it, uh, please write us a favorable review or uh, like us on your podcast app of choice. And don't forget, uh, we certainly enjoy banter and comments uh, on Twitter at Bad Puns... Uh, at Arms Race Podcast, that's something I can't get rid of. <laughs> nope, that, don't get mad about it. It's, it's bound to happen. Uh, so, yes, at I'm, Arms Race Podcast. I swear, that's it. If you didn't get so angry about it, I would take it out. But because you're so annoyed, now I have to leave it in. Because <laughs> how could I not? You're so, you're so annoyed with yourself. Fair enough. <laughs> at Arms Race Podcast. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, if you enjoy the show, you know, word of mouth always helps. So, you know, let people know. Tell your friends. I, Absolutely. It's, I think we're finally starting to round into shape with our new format. For a while, it was a little bit of an uncomfortable fit for us. We were trying to figure out how it works. But uh, I think we're starting to figure it out. I mean, it's probably still have some ways to go, such as telling people what the segments are, for instance. Yeah. Well, we're learning and improving as we go. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if uh, you gave us a, a, maybe a middling review <laughs> earlier, maybe reconsider. We'll take those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll take we'll take all reviews. Honest opinions are honest opinions. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't fault people for. I mean, it's it's good for us. Yeah, feedback absolutely. is good. All right, all right. So we'll be back with First Blood, the only Rambo movie that has a sensible title. 